What's up, everybody? You guys having a good time out there? Happy Wednesday. Ready for another Vibrant? Got two of my favorite collaborators with me, Christopher Gardner and Gabe looking like a straight up slick pimp in it. <laughs> All right. We should be serious, though. I really wanted uh, a chance to. What? What are you pointing at? You're you're muted. Can't hear me. Me? Can't hear? Okay. Why is that? I hear you. Right? I you hear, hear me now? Chance, but I don't hear Topher. Okay, you do I hear me. Chance. He's ruining my you're ruining my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Topher's muted. You, Topher. Okay. All right, take two. <laughs> Topher's muted. You can stay that way. That's fine. <laughs> Josh says Gabe looks like someone who may or may not have been to jail. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to Vibrant. It's Wednesday night. One of my favorite subjects we're going to get into tonight. Something I'm sure if you've been around, you've heard me talk about it in a more referential way, or perhaps you've caught other shows where I've been the guest and discussed this subject of your energy body, your biofield anatomy. But honestly, it's not really something I've commonly covered in an extensive way on the show. So we're going to do it in a way that maybe we haven't done before and is taking it from the top, I think will be helpful for folks that might be new to the channel or have only heard it in pieces. Right. And I think why this is important is because there's really nothing you can do that's better for yourself, not just your health, but also like the path of your life than to figure out what ways you can take responsibility for stuff that you've been uh, outsourcing responsibility about. And we may think about outsourcing responsibility as like, you know, dependence on someone else or a system or right, like going to the grocery store, things of that nature. But the other type of outsourcing responsibility is for problems. <laughs> and I know that this might sound weird, but there's this thing we we have that we call a personality. And this is an idea. It's not a reality. <laughs> <laughs> because what you the only thing you really are is free will, right? So one of the things that biofield tuning and this biofield anatomy talk will hopefully help you see is that there are likely ways that you and all of us, even me still, right? We we all work on this continually, have been outsourcing responsibility for certain challenges that we get stuck on or hung up on or deficiencies that we we have on this th this mythical idea of your personality. Oh, that's just how I am. <laughs> and it doesn't maybe seem intuitive to say that you're outsourcing with that idea. But in fact, you know, you're putting it on this word personality that is somehow like uh, an unchangeable, immutable thing that you're just stuck with. And it is a form of, you know, it's kind of a form of victimization in a sense. Maybe it's not as harsh as other ways that you might call something victimization. Anyway, what a weird way to start the conversation. Um, just wanted to make it clear though, why this is an important talk because a, your body is communicating with you through every, every conceivable injury or dis-ease or even like, you know, strain and sprain and tightness and all of that. And if you learn the language that your body speaks to you through, 
you will be able to figure out what challenges in your life that you've maybe been outsourcing your power and reclaim it. And it's going to hook you up with a lot more ability to uh, feel in flow, both in your physical body and in the way things come to you and the way you come to things in life. So it's my best shot at the introduction to this topic. How are you guys doing, Gabe? Topher, you going to unmute yourself? Hey, oh, what's up, dude? I didn't realize I muted myself. <laughs> so how you been? Awesome. Awesome. Really well, man. Everything's like really flowing here. I feel like we've been here in our in our Missouri homestead for almost a year. So I finally feel like our roots are like really settling in and life is great. I really had fun last time you were on is just two weeks ago, but <laughs> thanks again for that. That was a really good time uh, with yeah. the two, three of us and the big bear and Mike yeah, thought, showed up. Good stuff. Yeah, that was good stuff. I, I always, uh, whenever I, I, I see uh, Gabe and, and Owen as like opposite ends of the spectrum, even though there's like, obviously the, the very high male energy, but like, just just the way the mind works i was i was waiting for some fireworks to happen there yeah i'm sure that won't be the last time that we yeah, there was get this. A, what's there that was, there was high synchronicity for me the fa- there was high synchronicity the fact that we had a the comedian come in on the day of the comedian of the navratri navaratri procession that was really sinking super synchronous no so one of the reasons why i asked Topher to join us in this talk is because he's a body worker himself and i'm sure he's got insights into the stuff we're going to be talking about from a more hands-on perspective yeah (laughs) yeah and tomorrow it's kind of cool it's synchronous tomorrow i'm starting uh i haven't taught another masseuse in over seven years and tomorrow I'm taking on my first student in seven years. So this is, this is awesome to actually have this. And I saw in my mind's eye that we were going to get together tonight, last night. I was like, Oh, I'm going to kick it with chance. I didn't think anything of it. And then I got the message from you this morning. And so this is perfect. Yeah. I wasn't planning this until the last kind of the last second just decided this morning popped into my head that that's what I'd like. Rachel says it's 111 there in Great Britain. And 111 is the number of this episode of Vibrant, which I think is cool that I kind of got the inspiration to do this conversation for episode 111 because my favorite frequencies to work with in biofield tuning are the solfeggio tones. And most of the solfeggio tones, one step to another, the differential is 111. So like 417 hertz to five to eight hertz got a one 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 there right that's pretty common throughout the uh self-edgio steps up and down from each other so this is like a perfect you know numerically aligned thing to get into so i'm just gonna basically we'll start with me going through the you know the ten thousand foot view and then we'll get into some of the granular this part of the body has this information in it And you guys just want to chime in, then, you know, go for it. And away we go. Made a slideshow. 
you know, it's good when there's a prepared PowerPoint, <laughs> you know, you get your money's worth for this free uh, presentation, the biofield and the energetic anatomy. So what is important to know about your energetic anatomy is that there's a consistency to it, just as a physical body has anatomy that is in a general shape and template, right? Your your stomach is roughly in the same place that another person's stomach is in. Your knees are roughly in the same place, et cetera. You get it. And that is actually true for the energy field. And I think it will be fun. Let me actually, I'm going to have to redo the screen share so that we can actually hear this, but it's worth it. There's sound. All right. Oh, maybe it's already sharing the tab. Cool. Okay. So this is a, for, a nice frequency to start us out. Oh, it stopped. Oh, no. Yeah. So how about that? You're seeing yeah, solid yeah. metal wobbling. Yeah, uh, I want to re I'm going to play that again, but without the sound. And then, yeah, I'm sure Topher, you probably want to talk about the the wobble in the metal there. Cause it's, it's so freaking cool. But that almost looks like an animation that's going on. Like if I didn't know better. It has, I think it has to do with the frame rate that it's recorded at. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a, that, I've got one of those right here. It is, you know, this is solid metal. I've never really tried to capture that effect on uh film myself, but you can kind of see it when you're holding it for sure. The point being that everything and no, this is not a slowed down video. I think maybe it's just the frame rate. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys, were you guys feeling it in the chat when I played that? <laughs> it's wavy that's, gravy. Mr. E says. Yeah. That's like 120 frames per second or something. Yeah, and it's, it's just a, a great example that you can vis visually and viscerally comprehend that although we experience reality as like solid and boundaries, it's really all wave, you know, it's really all flow. It's all vibration. And what you, you got any else uh, to add to that, Topher? I know you're probably more even scientifically inclined in the vibratory realms than me. Well, I was just thinking, you know, I'm looking at the U, like the that shape in and of itself. And I think that shape, like if you just hit a regular bar of metal, you wouldn't have that. There's something about having that horseshoe, you know, horseshoe magnet shape that I don't know, maybe it phase locks the obviously there's a phase lock if if it's a tuning fork right and that makes that vibration more significant like that's just amazing to see yeah solid metal wobbling can't really beat that so 
Why I talk about the biofield anatomy is because, as you guys all know, I do biofield tuning, which is the centropic process of bringing lost life force back into our bodies. We could talk a lot about the technique of biofield tuning, but really I want to focus on the anatomy and the language that your body speaks. So, and I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about the technique of biofield tuning a lot. In a nutshell, it's like grabbing off-balance energy in that bubble space of your aura and bringing it back into the center. And when I first started out, I thought it was really about the sound and the, the magic of the fork that was picking up this sticky, invisible energy and sort of like sweeping it back into the center. And to a degree, that is that is true. You know, some some elements of the tuning process do, do operate that way. But what I've come to learn and why I think this is so helpful to talk about in the context of the biofield anatomy, what I've come to understand experientially from working with people is that there is way more effect for reclaiming lost life force. And that is to say lost life force, meaning your potential energy level. What's your capacity? You know, what's your energetic threshold? How much can you do? How much do you know yourself? Because your life force is your consciousness. And the more depleted your battery is because there's un, you know, there's compartmentalized life force, the less you even can remember about who you are or why you're here or what life is. <laughs> there's a lot of things that get lost along the way. But as the, the philosophers of old would say, learning is remembering. So the most effective way to learn isn't study <laughs> necessarily. I mean, that's a part of it if you want to learn things that are more about the world, but to understand the true philosophy and logos of existence and creation and who you are, it's like, you just got to get healthier. You got to reclaim that lost life force. You got to delete the limiting beliefs. So I'm finding that you reclaim life force way more efficiently by figuring out what the limiting belief is and or or what the rejected emotion is and how it got there. Trauma is healed by not recognizing the trauma or knowing what it is. That's part of it, but actually comprehending how it affected your behavior and how it became wound up in that story you've told yourself about the personality that you have. <laughs> your personality is a choice. You know, we may have aptitudes. That's astrology, right? We may have aptitudes. And that's and we may have tendencies. All of that is definitely in there. But at the end of the day, your choices are the uh, the true defining act of, you know, what, who and what you actually are. So I'll quote Eileen a few times in this talk. We got Eileen Day McCusick, the basically the guru of biofield tuning. <laughs> uh, although I think that this is an ancient knowledge. Um, and I think that there's. I think that it was never fully lost from the world. Topher and I were talking about this before the stream. And I think uh, it's mostly just been forgotten because as I've understood, you know, I learned some things from Eileen's book. The majority of what I do, I learned from Eileen's books, from talking to her, from practicing though, is where the majority of my understanding came from, which tells me it's some like this anatomy thing is there to be discovered. It's, it's actually there. <laughs> so you can, you could figure this stuff out with enough trial and error, which is how she did it. So she says in her book, book, electric body, electric health, the human body 
is not only an instrument. It is a self-tuning instrument. Just like you can use a tuning fork to tune a piano or a guitar, somewhat miraculously, you can also use a tuning fork to tune the body. Yes, <laughs> this is true. And this, uh, you know, this is this has to do with the principle of our universe that the more coherent vibration entrains the dissonant vibration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Topher, do you, do you have thoughts on that statement? Yes. Yes. I mean, that that's absolutely true. Like the few times I've gotten certain circuits in resonance, <clears throat> it didn't matter what dissonance was in the field. It was cleared. Like it was just cleared. <laughs> and, you know, after, after the resonance would leave, sometimes there would be a boomerang effect, you know, especially because we were dealing with people. But um, no, it, like you said, the more coherent field cle- clears everything. Yeah, and I, I use this example all the time, but my favorite example of the mm, centropic force, because our, our mainstream science mostly harps on entropy. We live in an entropic universe. You know, the, the whole, all of existence will fizzle out in a, a whimper of a heat death as energy becomes diffuse across the entire plane of existence and there's none left in any sort of coherence or or collection to give form to or or motion to anything right that's the idea that just like this cup of tea in front of me is off you know off gassing uh steam and heat and it's getting cooler in the liquid because energy does this naturally does this thing of trying to find you know, equilibrium. So that's true, but we're leaving out the, whenever we just consider the entropy side of things, we're leaving out the centropy, which is that there's a self ordering aspect of nature. And that Mm -hmm. that's actually, and obviously far more potent than entropy (laughs) because we're here, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it should be self-evident, but a, a good example that I use all the time is the, the metronomes. You put a bunch of metronomes in a room together and knock them off at different times. And you come back later, all the metronomes that you'd started at random intervals will eventually be synced up and in perfect synchronization. So uh, I've heard that explained in interesting ways, like that the vibrations of the, of the metronome with each tick, it's, you know, it's sending out like uh, waves the sound waves and the vibrations and it's all bouncing. They're all colliding with each other in the space. And that's causing the, uh, you know, causing each one to slightly shift towards the same rhythm as all the others. I don't know if I explained that very well, but the point is that it happens. (laughs) The point is that go ahead. That makes sense to me. Cause if you ever seen what occurs when clay is being baked and it vitrifies into a brick or it vitrifies into porcelain. So all the clay particles are like this, you know, before they're baked, they're like in every direction. And the catalyst of the temperature of the higher temperature of the heat creates, they all start to shake and they're all shaking within the medium. And then what then they do is then depending on what type of clay it is, that they will all shake into a uniform plate and then that's what causes it to be solid but technically the material is exactly the same 
It's just that the incoherence of all the different clay particles is now coherent. That's another good example. And you can also look at that from, look at what we're talking about from the, you know, the idea of charisma. (laughs) Someone who has a coherent vision of what they want and they come into a space with a bunch of people that don't know what they want. Everyone ends up doing what the person who knows what they want wants. (laughs) Or just like a a happy, uh, excited person comes into a space with a bunch of like bored down people they can pull them up you know they light up the room uh or even in the reverse there is such a thing as like uh destructive coherence (laughs) yeah so that can happen in reverse too if people are their their vibes are malleable and somebody comes in with malintent uh, on those malleable people then yeah you can drag people down too but overall the you know the life affirming type of coherence is more powerful than uh, destructive coherence, in my opinion. Yeah, I I know I know a couple of shamans that have told me about the whole reason why they do the the dieta and the whole reason why they clean constantly. One of the reasons why is because they become in resonance with the, their higher self, and their higher self has a lot more energy. So when you become resonant with something of higher and a higher order magnitude than you, if you have resistance in your system, you get fried, <laughs> you, you explode like you like there's the purge effect. And that's why you'll have lots of Debbie Downers. They hate being around people that have high vibes just because just in their very presence, that energy is like, you know, causing their energy to rise and they don't want it. And it's the same thing in a lot of spiritual practices. You want the Kundalini to run. You want all these things to start running. Well, does your body have the capacity to handle that extra energy when you start to resonate or when you start to cohere with your higher self? Yeah, I think that what you just described is maybe not in every case, but I think that it is probably related to the phenomenon of spontaneous human combustion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where some old bitty will just be in her chair knitting away and they, someone comes in the room later and there's just a pile of smoking ashes and <laughs> <laughs> but not, the chair is not even harmed. That's the weird thing about spontaneous combustion, too, is just the body goes and like the it doesn't burn down the house. Not sometimes not even the chair they're in. <laughs> that's a weird Dude, phenomenon. That's directed energy weapons. Let's get with it. You really For no. just to. <laughs> It's <laughs> like what even in the 1800s or, or earlier and you know she's just on, some man. poor grandma come on man antiquitech <laughs> get with it <laughs> okay let's keep going <laughs> so uh another thing see i think that you would give probably a better description of the me is that uh, the human biofield is a diffuse electromagnetic medium and also you could call it a bioplasma, yeah, which surrounds and interpenetrates the body. So how do you define plasma, Topher? Well, plasma is the state between the physical and the metaphysical. So you feel an effect, but there's not necessarily a physical thing there that's causing the effect. So whenever you do cranial sacral work, um, it doesn't just have to be cranial sacral work, but I bring it up just because 
you're focusing on the most subtle uh, shifts of energetics through the body. The plasma would be, I guess you would say, the tone and tenor of the energetics that are moving through. And you just learn to become sensitive to that. And so the the literal, like what they call the spinal fluid, the they call it tides. That's a bioplasma. That's not actually like tides of fluid going up and down your spine, but you can actually follow it feels like a uh, it literally feels like a tide it feels like a pressure coming out and then something pulling in and that's that's a that's a bioplasma and that's just the reason why we tune into that in cranial sacral work is because if you can stay in neutral observation of that and follow that without trying to modify it the whole field rectifies itself of course the scientism kind of grapples the word plasma by applying it to things that are not at all the same in terms of the state of matter, right? Like right. the liquid element of your blood, they call plasma, but that's not the same as plasma as a state of not even a state of matter. Cause as you said, it's no. non-physical the way I define plasma and I'm right or not. I would like to know if you you feel good about this way of understanding it. The way I understand it is that it's not really the physical stuff. It's a, it's the flow of energy itself. Yes. Like the, it's the a movement. It's yeah. a, like we call it a tide. So mm. like you're feeling the tide. It's the, it's the tone and the tenor. Cause it, we talked about this before with scalar physics. Scalar physics is the engineering of an environment to give you a resultant. So you could feel like when you're watching the, the the pressure gradient come in, most people have no fucking clue of when a storm is coming in. But yet, like my wife knows it like an hour before it comes because the pressure, her body is, is attuned to the pressure. Like you, the biofield anatomy is a lot like that. When you come in the presence of somebody, like there, there's a, depending on your dosha, on the way the bioplasma works in your system, it might, it might jive well. It might have good juju with that other body. It might be resistant. It might be whatever. And the whole thing is to get past your, like, uh, I guess, your input into the, the actual observation, like trying to be the, uh, the observer that doesn't affect what it's observing and actually just see it for what it is because it's always exerting a movement. It's always doing a little dance. Like if, if you can perceive it, you can perceive it because it's moving. If it wasn't moving, if it was perfectly still, you would not know it's there. Come here. I, I can't, I got to bring up the Holy Ghost right now. <laughs> you know, the presence, you know, uh, these words uh, used to be the terms they would call the Holy Ghost. In, uh, in the, the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen, he says, uh, he has a line about the Holy Ghost was moving too. Uh, Mm-hmm. And I think that that comes to mind right now uh, as you're, t- but he's, he's speaking of it in this very, in the sexual uh, 
innuendo kind of context. But yeah, uh, because of the the word ghost, I think of it as meaning so many more things than we think of, like the guest room. The guest room is a place that is preserved for the anticipation of an of somebody to fill a void. So there is a a a, a presence of expectation in the guest room, and even the word like the uh, to get the the gist of a situation mm-hmm. is to speak of its entirety, uh, the whole picture. Uh, and these are all just echoes of the word ghost. So yeah, I love that. And when you're doing craniosacral work, that feeling is like is a presencing of of all the things, all the entire system, you know, the endocrine, the uh even the uh fascia, the facial systems, and then the soft tissues, and then in the middle of all that is the bone and the hard structure. Uh mm-hmm. so yeah, there's a, a gist of working with all those things. You've got bones tissues and spirit all in your hands at the same time. I, I got to yeah. expand on that too, that the, when there's stuck energy in your bioplasma, your auric field, if it is compartmentalized and uh, energized enough, it becomes like a, an unwanted guest. <laughs> it's a ghost of another version of yourself that you've rejected or a past version of yourself that you've rejected. And furthermore, when you, really hit peak coherence all of that uh, what you now feel is the gust (laughs) you know the people are talking about it in the chat like the uh the whoosh of wind that you feel before you have an obe or before you temporarily hit the pause button on the flow of time (laughs) so ghost guest gust all of that is in there geist you know I'm going to pick up from where we were. All right. So the other thing to know about the biofield is that it contains the record of life experiences. You could definitely comprehend it as having to do with time. <laughs> it has a lot to do with your relationship with time, actually. Uh, the record of your life experiences are contained in this f- dynamic flow of your electromagnetic field and an ordering as if... You know, you have a fractal similarity to a tree, a tree trunk, that the rings of the tree contain information out at the edge of the tree would be like its first years of life. And in towards the core would be its most new growth. Right. Or at least that's how it is in the human biofield. I don't know if that's how it works exactly for trees, but there is like, a, <laughs> you know, from the middle to the outside is like a timeline with the tree. <laughs> uh, they call it dendro, dendrochronology, right? Sounds right. Yeah, dendrochronology is a great word. That's an awesome word. So, as I was explaining with the, you know, the how well this energy is flowing versus not flowing or stagnant or chopped up into compartments that are not speaking to each other. That is the direct influence on what you experience as both mind and memory are related to the flow of energy, this invisible plasma flow around you. 
so whenever it's whenever you have coherent biofield energy, your mind is operating in a sharp way. You can recall information when you when it's the appropriate time to. When it's all out of whack, you feel uh, unable to maybe focus or tired or all kinds of possibilities, right? But your mind isn't got the acuity that it could have. And your memory won't operate necessarily on cue that you want it to. <laughs> you might be remembering stuff you don't want to remember, hard experiences on a loop and not able to remember, say, information that would be useful or what you plan to do uh, to help yourself, things of that nature. So what's important about all of this, like if you were to just take home one sentence from this conversation is your body is inside your mind. Your mind is not located somewhere in your body. Your body is inside your mind. Your mind is this flow. I mean, back to the, the gust, right? The idea of the wind. If you swap the M to a W, mind becomes wind. And the M to W switch is actually allowed in philology. <laughs> like the, there are several words in Latin that if you swap the M to a W, you get the same exact word with the same meaning in Sanskrit, you know? So we, we, there's examples of that. So mind and wind go hand in hand, but your body is inside your mind. Very important to know that because <laughs> really when you get down to it, I think that the whole world is inside your mind, not the, not your mind what? inside this world. <laughs> what? You get it. Are you saying like the luminaries are the very outest extension of yourself yes okay okay we're on the same page <laughs> <laughs> but we already knew we were on the same page with that but i love that statement it totally changes your relationship to the uh you know to the world to start to look at it that way i remember that one of the most significant changes that i ever took on as a young man was to just as, as an experiment at first to start interpreting events in my life, the way you would try to do dream analysis, dream interpretation. Mm-hmm. And then that was it, man. <laughs> Everything changed from there. I realized, Oh, it's not really any different than a dream apart from it's got more stability and uh, you know, a timeline to it. <laughs> the dreams don't necessarily have getting sidetracked though. Um, so knowing that your body is in your mind All parts of the body thus have corresponding mental properties. And these properties are consistent in all human beings. That's the the anatomy aspect of this. And all, therefore, all injury or disease is psychosomatic, meaning it's caused or aggravated by internal conflict. Internal contradiction might be a better way to put it. Because it's, uh, you know, two ideas, cognitive dissonance that do not, that cannot exist in the same place uh, or, you know, paradox type stuff in a negative sense. So cognitive dissonance equals stagnant or compartmentalized biofield energy and stagnant biofield energy equals bodily dysfunction of some kind. Mm -hmm. And, but that applies not just to, you know, something going out of whack with, your kidney or you feeling a tightness in your shoulder. It also applies to like something that comes from the external world that hits you (laughs) where it hits you, uh, how, 
what part of you got injured by that, you know, all of that is applicable to un- be understood through the context of the biofield anatomy. And even the symbolism of like how the injury happened, who was involved in it, what's their relationship to you. All of these levels are relevant. So this is the way I want everyone that is with us tonight or in the future listening to this to start retraining the way that you think about your body, that your body is your mind. (laughs) It's in your mind, I should say. But in a sense, it is like your body is the map of your mind. We've all heard the whole thing like, know thyself, know thyself. But who here has ever been kept up late at night thinking, what do I even want? Who the fuck even am I? (laughs) You know, like these kind of questions. (laughs) Well, the good news is that because you're such a, you're a super infinite being, you can't actually hold in your conscious mind, like as in your awareness and and your attention, all the facets of who and what you truly are. But guess what? Your body does. (laughs) Your body's the map to all of it. So when you can communicate with your body the way it's trying to communicate with you, you will start to understand what you really want and you'll be more in flow with what you really want without having to, you know, try to analyze and figure it out. You're just reconnecting the circuitry of the, of what should be prompting you to have certain thoughts or feelings or desires or intentions and, and will to move a certain direction in life. So yeah, <laughs> your your body is actually your biggest guide to help you get from feeling stuck in something you don't want and not knowing how to do anything better or what would be better to getting you to what is actually better. <laughs> Priscilla says, what is causing my back pain? <laughs> well, we're going to get into the specifics here uh, with areas of the biofield and you might actually get some clues as we cover things off from bottom to top. And uh, Anissa here says, I had a tuning with chance and it was very helpful. My body feels aligned and my mind is sharper. Perfect example. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, (laughs) it does help with the mental sharpness big time. So the causes of stagnant biofield energy or, you know, what gets you stuck mentally too, as in not knowing what you want, losing track of who you are, unexpressed emotional energy that builds up is one self-limiting beliefs that you mistake as your personality negative or limiting expectations about life. And by negative, I mean limiting the potential of what type of good things could happen in life or, you know, expectations about like, Oh, I've been doing pretty well. And now that means something bad must be about to happen. Those type of beliefs. And then finally, any form of victim consciousness at all, <laughs> which is kind of a wide ranging, a bunch of possibilities. But the key about these four things is that practically nobody would intentionally hold on to a mental pattern in, an, in any of these forms that would cause you harm, right? You wouldn't want to. The thing is, when, the, when there's something stuck, stagnant in your biofield, think of what's like, in in flow in the center of yourself, uh, up and down the spine, right from crown to root, any energy that's as in mind, any wind <laughs> that's in that part of yourself, you can feel it. You're aware of it. You can see it, so to speak. But if something's off balance, 
to the left, to the right, in front and back, somewhere around this bubble space. That is akin to it being relegated to the unconscious. And not just unconscious as in you're not currently thinking about it, but you know about it. But I mean unconscious like you don't even... You you threw it away and you've locked up you locked locked it up threw away the key and forgot where you buried it <laughs> that type of unconscious so Topher you want to riff on any of this I know I've been kind of going for a minute before because we're about to get into the uh, you know the anatomy in a step by step so please please take it away well we had talked about it I think we did it on a, another vibrant but I talked about the taco. <laughs> whenever there's that part of your uh, unconscious self, that part of you that's been occulted by your conscious self is a better way of saying it. And it's lingering in, in the mind, your greater body. And it will present as like a dog barking just when you're about to get the good news or, you know, you get in a car crash just when something, you know, it, whatever is contrary to the the limiting self image that you have, the taco comes in and completely thwarts the the actual experience of that, and that's you doing it. That's a that's a sabotage from the the greater aspect of yourself in the field. That's like uh 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 uh, I'm not ready to clear that yet. I'm not ready to clear that yet. And when I lived in the ashram with a bunch of Raja yogis, we used to laugh our ass off because just right when something was about to clear for somebody and we could all feel it. And it was just like, oh, a fire alarm goes off. Somebody gets shot across the street. Like just nuts would occur. And it always happened. So we named it a taco because we thought it was really funny. Because it always happened. And and we had the understanding that it was just that self-sabotaging technique that doesn't, it, it's your greater self, that subconscious that doesn't allow you to really get to the next level where that aspect of you is integrated. That's great, man. It's, I love bringing up the taco. <laughs> I think it even, <laughs> I think the taco yeah, it, the simplest way to define it is like the interruption mid epiphany. The epiphany exactly. is about to be birthed. You're like, you feel it. You're on the verge of it. And then, yeah, the the black helicopter comes. Exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite taco memories is a, literally a black helicopter showed up and started flying over our heads, me and uh, some friends. But yeah. when you have the language to identify it, I think that's really powerful because then you'll catch yourself throwing tacos at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and you might not be able to reclaim the epiphany once the interruption to flow happens in that moment. So oftentimes it's like the tacos here. I, I, I lost it. I lost. I forgot what I was going to say or whatever. And that's okay. But the key is to go like, Oh, why did this taco happen? What, what is it that, you know, I, I could have been presumably about to clear. What was it that I was about to claim, you know, and knowing that that, phenomenon exists may help people stop throwing tacos at themselves so much. Yeah. And it really breeds radical self-responsibility. Like you don't let anything slip when you understand, Oh, just because my kid was crying just when this was about to occur, you're not blaming the kid. 
you actually know that your energetic body instigated that crying or, oh, one of my employees is acting out. You know, I could easily on the lower order just blame that employee for, you know, acting out the way they are. But if I'm to take radical responsibility, I know it's because they on a, on a deeper level my intent isn't the same thing. It, like, you know, our intents don't match. So like it, it really causes radical uh, responsibility in one's life. Gabe, you probably had tacos in your life, right? Oh yeah. You know, uh, moments like that make me so glad that I have so many notebooks to write things down and come back to these thoughts. I have a lot of them when I'm on my walks, I realize things and I don't want to be that guy on his phone on the walk, but so often I am, <laughs> I end up being the guy, I got to get this thought down. It won't, it won't survive if it doesn't, if it's not born somewhere. That's true. All right. So now we're looking at a very basic illustration of the biofield i say very basic because we're not labeling much about it we're kind of just looking at the superstructure and I'll, i think i'll zoom in a bit so we can see things really clearly first of all important to comprehend is this looks like an apple sliced in half right we're looking at a toroidal field so apple as we bottom. said it's, <laughs> it's a bioplasma mm. this is plasma in the sense that it's in this continual flow. So coming out from the crown and going around and then back in here, but then the other direction as well. So it's a lot like, you know, if you really shaped it out, you could compare it to the infinity symbol or the analemma that the sun makes, something like that. Now, taking it from the bottom, well, actually, first, let's look here. Okay, so... The body represents the core of your mind, your biofield being your mind. And then the outer edge boundary is like right where my mouse is. This would be like see gestation and birth as in when you were in your mother's womb. Now the, um, you know, we could talk about this too. There's actually a double layer to the boundary and this can, <laughs> this can throw practitioners off at first. I, I say that because it's thrown me off before. <laughs> uh, because when you're passing your fork, say, from outside the boundary, and then I hit this first layer of the boundary, I can feel it hit that boundary. You know, it kind of like clicks in there. And then I move it just slightly more over, and oftentimes I'll hit the second layer of the boundary. and. For a while there, I thought I was actually hitting some stagnant energy <laughs> at that point. And it took me a while to realize, like, why won't this go away? Even no matter how much I try to clear this, I keep I hit the boundary and then move a few like move an inch and I hit something else. And, that, and then I was like, oh, yeah, Eileen's talked about this It's double layered. <laughs> so it can be useful, though, because sometimes we actually have a, a breakdown in the boundary itself. Uh, a distortion in the boundary itself. And that has, uh, you know, that can happen from 
psychic vampirism, something puncturing your energy field in a sense, can come from particularly most common from abuse of substances will put holes in this boundary. And that's actually, in my opinion, what makes uh, intoxication feel good is like a hole in the boundary opens up and you start <laughs> like a balloon that's been untied, <laughs> you know? And so it's like flying around the room, like, whoa, wow, look at that balloon. And it's fun for a little bit, but you keep going and you deplete your yourself in that in the course of that, it uh, stops being so fun. So after you get past the double layer boundary, oh, other things that can happen with the boundaries, it can be distorted as in pulled in too close. And there can be like a bulge concave or a bulge convex pushed too far away. And that will have its own significance to it. Most of the time, if it's pushed further away, it's like a type of feeling uh, that you refuse to let yourself have. You're pushing it so far away from you that it's even further away than the rest of your energy body. <laughs> but when you have distortion like that, when there's like a distortion in the the uh, shape of your field, it's no longer in this nice toroidal, crispy apple shape. That oftentimes I've found that corresponds with some sort of significant pain in the body or distortion in the body, even like to the point where things get out of shape or deformed or or wicked hurt. <laughs> so here you see the age breakdown, a 60 year old person. Mm, if you were three feet away from them, approximately half of the way through their biofield, anything going on there mentally would correspond to them being 30. So it just worked like it where in my space, radio tuning, I've got little ticks of, of blue tape on the floor, one foot apart from each other. So I can see you know, in one foot increments, sort of where I'm at in relation to their center. And, <clears throat> and then you kind of can do the math from there. And like, you know, if you were 25% through the field of a 60 year old, you'd be at their age of 15. Halfway through a 30 year old's field would be also 15. So yeah, very much like the rings of a tree. Um, there's also these bands here called the ancestral river which has to do with the flow of like the connection going back ancestrally on the maternal and the paternal side. That's a little beyond the scope of this conversation. Suffice to say every biofield is connected to each other <laughs> in a, in a line generationally, you could say, or like a, a river and there's, um, you know, information that is sometimes contained there that can trip you up from unhealed or traumatized ancestor programming. Uh, and that's usually where I find preconception influences as well. That can happen. Uh, sometimes I find energy outside of their boundary as well every once in a while. And that can have to do with, um, past lives. I don't really look for that. It doesn't come up too much. Or sometimes I find <laughs> back to the ghost thing. Sometimes I find, uh, straight up an ancestor who has spiritually entered the room. And they always position themselves in in uh, a place that corresponds to a level of the biofield in which they had some kind of a problem that they didn't resolve, that they feel that this uh, descendant of theirs shares in some way, as in like they're helping us raising a red flag, like, look here, look here. <laughs> 
So that, that comes up too occasionally. That's cool. And then at the bottom, like the South Pole, you have the Earth Star. This is where energy that's being grounded to the Earth goes through this node point, like this crossing point of the uh, the toroidal field. And same with the above, that's the Sun Star right above the head here. You can look at it like almost like the positive and negative parts of the battery, right? Mm-hmm. terminals of a battery in a sense and the sun star is more about in my opinion it's more about like guiding principles things you're aware of that tend to direct your behavior or your intentions pretty powerfully so the thing about the earth star and sun star is that imbalanced thinking and behavior over the long course of time can actually throw those off off center and uh, most people that I that I tune for the first time, the Earth Star or the Sun Star or both are a few inches to one direction that they shouldn't be and not aligned with their physical middle. Hmm. This, is, the, this is like the true Axis Mundi. Well, it's your personal Axis Mundi, right? Well, we've just defined that it's all mine. So, yeah, it's the true axis. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. The, it's the subjective axis mundi. But for each individual, it's the objective yeah. uh, axis mundi. Wherever you go, you're the center of it all <laughs> from it. your point of mind. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. You know, I'm looking for an example real quick of a recent tuning talk about yeah so i found a recent client that the earth star was constricted like the basically the way it felt when i tuned into it was like uh in the shower when the drain is a bit clogged where stuff is still going down the drain but you notice it's that moment where you notice oh the water is actually accumulating just you know, the drain is just clogged enough that now the water is starting to rise up above my toes and not drain all the way. <laughs> uh, so things not weren't grounding quickly enough for her. And then I found um, with that same client that her sun star, the above one, was like four inches to the left. And for her, what that meant, because the left has more to do with the past, the right has more to do with the future. Um, in that case, her guiding principles in life up to like generally speaking were like what directed her behavior was mostly her awareness of things from the past that about herself that she didn't like. So instead of being guided by like the present moment, what feels best and authentic in that moment, it was more like, well, I got to, what I'm doing now is to avoid these things from the past. Right. So that's like the best quick example I can give of, how the earth star and the sun star might, you know, influence somebody when the, uh, when they're not in the right place. So to understand how the energetic imbalances get there, it's basically states of mind that we habitually energize, create patterns of distortion in our field, which ultimately result in the breakdowns of order and function in the body. But what I would add to that is, not everybody experiences order or uh, 
breakdowns of order and function in the body from the stuck energy. If it's long-term enough, it's inevitable. Yes. But most of us, the first, the first ripples we're going to get the first uh, consequences of these imbalanced states of mind being habitually energized in a distorted way is life experiences, relationships, our, 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 our job, you know, what opportunities we do or don't have things like that are, are very, are more quick to get out of whack than a physical breakdown in the function of the body, (laughs) in my opinion. Um, But by the time, (laughs) by the time something is going wrong in the body is, you know, it's definitely been habitual in terms of the uh, thought pattern. So the way that we restore wholeness from an electromagnetic perspective is by bringing these fragments of frozen light or forgotten self back into circulation and availability. So now you see in this slide a bit more detail and what kind of things you might see where in the biofield. But we won't linger on this slide too much. We're going to work on one area at a time and look at them in depth. Just wanted you to see how this works. And what we're looking at is more of an up, down, left, right version of the biofield, but there's also the front and the back. So it's a, you know, we're working on three-dimensional axis here in terms of dealing with it. But one thing that's fascinating is when you are, you know, when you're driving your tuning fork, I don't want you to think, wow, I got to look for stuff in the six feet of sphere around somebody 360 degrees. Cause that's like, you know, that's a lot of cubic space to try to investigate. <laughs> so because this is all mental, because this is all mental, this is how I do it and it works just fine. All right. So I'll, I'll use my phone. It's a little smaller. Okay. Look here and pretend that my phone Oh, wow. That Interverse phone case. You can get that on my merch store, you know. <laughs> what? 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 So the phone is the massage table, right? Or the bed or wherever someone's laying. How dare you? And that's their body. Oops. Okay. So this is somebody with the fork. And you would start at, away from their body and move towards their body with the sound and look for the distortion. Right. But say they're laying on their back. Do I need them to flip over and lay on their tummy (laughs) so I can check the other side so I don't have to like go under the table? No. So when I'm standing here, I'm at the edge of their body. I'm say I'm going to work on the root chakra. I'm on the right side. Uh, I will mentally tell myself that I'm looking at the front, the front quadrant. And then I will mentally say I'm looking at the back quadrant, back side, front side, if that makes sense. So Basically, I don't have to be, uh, I, you don't actually have to be doing like a needle in a haystack scavenger hunt to find exactly precisely where the stuck energy is. Think of it more like it's more, it's more malleable than that. And you're imagining that this line of you standing here to going to their body, just along that line, approximate line, is the front backside or the front right side or the back left side, whatever of what but the particular chakra area that you're working on. And so all you really have to do is go in a line. And that line is the timeline of their life from birth to the current moment. All that makes sense, right? 
Yes. So <laughs> I don't have to Nobody. go. You don't have to. I wanted to make sure and cover that off so you guys would understand because it gets, yeah. it might seem a little daunting or complicated to imagine 360 degrees of someone's energy field and trying to comb through it, finding precisely where the stuck thing is. No, no, no. You can, it's actually, you can simplify it with your intention and mentally and it will still operate. And so like, you can definitely take, uh, you can definitely do things that way and makes it a lot easier. So chance, I think you hit on it pretty well with that explanation, but uh, Logan had the question in the super chat to create the crystal body for distance tuning. Would you use the exact same setup with the same crystals every time? And then what does that look like? That was his question. Oh, thank you for catching that. I actually wasn't looking at the chat for a while. Also got to say thank you to Mormon Rishi for those super chats. And I think Rachel super chatted. All you guys crushed. Thank you so much. Same people always supporting you. (laughs) You guys keep me keeping me in business. So that question though, um, he's referring to how, when I, I do sessions remotely, and it works perfectly well. And <laughs> just like the analogy of my phone with the, this tourmaline tower on it, representing the body, that's how I do it. I set up a massage table in my space and I lay out candles and crystals in the shape of a body like a big voodoo doll of for good. Though. <laughs> <laughs> and I operate on I operate as if that that dummy body is their body. And you do not have to get as elaborate as I do, in my opinion. It's actually possible to do without any kind of like stand in material. If you're just like, if you're good at that, you just project mentally like the, a holographic image uh, of with your imagination into the space. <laughs> and that's fine. But I like to use crystals and candles that are magically correspondent to the regions of the body that I'm working with. And I like that helps me. I like the aesthetic of it. <laughs> I think that there's something to, I won't lie. There's probably benefit to the crystals and the candles, but I also know that like, don't let that be uh, I guess I want to say, don't let that be an impediment to doing this with people. Cause one thing that might be an impediment is like, Hey, I don't have anybody to practice on my friends and family are too normy for me to wave tuning forks around for an hour or so while they lay there and relax. They They would think it was dumb. Well, just hit up a friend in the live chat or in telegram and you can do it remotely with them and practice remotely. It definitely, you know, I've done so much more remote tunings than in-person tunings. Like the ratio is probably 90% remote, 95% remote. Like this notebook is just sessions from this year, my notes about them. So that's a lot of remote tunings. And it is working. It works. So can here we go. Going to look into the uh, the specifics now because I think this will be really helpful. We got feet, ankles, and knees. This is at the bottom of your system, right? They're not traditionally considered a chakra. But Topher, I want to know what you think about this. I actually consider. I like the seven chakra system and, you know, rolling up everything below the root chakra into the root chakra. That's fine. Conceptually to have a nice tidy spiritual system predicated on the mystical seven. I'm good with that. <laughs> but in terms of energetics, the feet and the ankles and the knees, they talk to me 
as much as the other chakras. They have, they're just as informative as the other chakras would be. And in a sense, like if you were considering, um, like, well, why is it, uh, why is it seven chakras and not nine? Well, I would say, well, let's bring in the, uh, let's, let's put at least two more in the legs, <laughs> you know, or no, three more I, and make I, it 10. I've let go of the chakra system and I look at the, the body as the Maseroth, as the, as like we're all the zodiacal, we all, <laughs> this sounds, might sound sacrilegious, but like we are the son or daughter of God. So we are, you know, the plane ecliptic, right? We have each one of those centers in our body. So in Ayurvedic massage, in Ayurvedic medicine, you look at the feet as Pisces, you look at the ankles as Aquarius, you look at the knees as Capricorn, and you work your way up. And I I absolutely have a direct correlation with the constellations in people's bodies, especially wherever they contraindicate. Well, I like that system as well. I mean, considering the zodiacal man as a way to comprehend your body, yes. it, it's it's totally effective. <laughs> the chakras work for me as a generalization, not as something that I think is literal, right? But for example, looking at the uh, the knees, while someone who has a imbalance in the right side, like a problem with the right knee, it, often the obstacles that they feel blocked by because that's what the right knee corresponds to feeling blocked by some kind of obstacle or challenge that you uh, think you can't get over. The most common thing that the person's obstacle is for their right knee is authority. <laughs> some kind of perceived external authority that says that you can't do that, you know, or the challenge, the reason why the obstacle or challenge is a block for them is because they've externalized their spiritual authority or their, you know, it's often very authority based. And that's, Capricorn. In fact, I even one time, <laughs> one time I even had somebody who, uh, their, they had had problems with their knees. They had huge, uh, authority problems in their life. I had drawn, I even drew a tarot card to understand the issues in their knees a little better. And I got the devil card, <laughs> which is Capricorn and the goat fish. And and she had had uh, significant lead poisoning and she didn't know where it came from. <laughs> and so lead is the Saturn yeah. metal. <laughs> so all, all these correspondence systems can shed light on, on the biofield. So don't think that this is the only thing that can, you need to know about per se, you know, you can bring your other skills to the equation. I, you know, if I'm to be fully frank about things, Sometimes what I can, when I'm pulling information out of somebody's energy field, it's not because like, okay, I can find the stuck energy that I can do. That's all about others all through signaling in my body. It reveals itself. Right. But to know why it got there, how it got there, there's a little more to it than just the generalization, right? Everyone has a unique version of, of their, their version of that generalization. So, for example, let me find it. So we're looking at the, the feet, right? The left foot can often carry the story of you, I've screwed up my life somehow. Like I've ruined my life or you don't have trust in the path that you've been on in life up to that point. The right foot cannot have 
problems trusting the path you're on currently or a, a feeling of like being off on the wrong foot uh, in, in life, <laughs> especially if there's something in birth that relates to that. So like an example of how uh, <laughs> this can show up from a, a client I had, she, we, we discerned that her mother had felt unsatisfied with her father's help as a provider while she was pregnant with this client. And this actually was right away at the edge of her energy field in that birth gestation area. There was stuck energy around that. And it carried the story of getting off on the wrong foot and things like, and her life experience was that she had been repeatedly, she repeatedly started over in life because of the story of uh, getting off on the wrong foot. And so she struggled to lay down long-term roots in a sense. And, <laughs> you know, it kind of like, you know, again, feet, ankle and knees kind of do roll up into the root chakra in this sense. Like this person would get sabotaged by authority, should move somewhere, start to try to like integrate and like make make waves, do her thing. Then something would happen with some local authority that would throw off her intentions or her plans. And then so she would just up and move somewhere else. So she had been moving every four, five, six years for her whole life. And it was largely because of she could never shake the feeling uh, in her unconscious mind of I've got off on the wrong foot here. This isn't going to work. This path I'm on is bunk. <laughs> mm -hmm. and yeah. And that all came back to feelings that her mother had when she was gestating this, uh, this client. So very important to understand the, uh, the birth story as probably the ultimate the ultimate uh healer <laughs> in terms of biofield energy because most of the time if there's a consistent repetitive problem somebody's having in their life that comes back in different forms over and over and over again probably there's some thematic uh link to how it was when you were in the womb or when you were first born or in the first year or two of life but mm -hmm. the pre-memory area and that set, that's setting up expectations for life that are so unconscious because you weren't even consciously making memories yet that it can be really hard to know how that works until maybe an external person can help you connect the dots a little bit and show you. And then you reclaim your free will about it and you go, oh, life isn't just that way where I have to move every four or five years because something is going to go wrong inevitably. I actually was expecting it. <laughs> I expected it. And then I brought it to myself. You know, our life experiences conform to what we believe life is. Very, very true. So true. Anybody got any, um, you two got any possible <laughs> uh, personal experiences? You know, Gabe told a story last week about his knees getting hexed. Yeah. But it was totally on my mind. It, what was I? What was I doing? I was doing capoeira when it happened. Uh, so all things about you know, uh, it's very hard on the knees, but it's also uh, resisting authority. Is the whole spirit of what capoeira was forged out of? Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah. And who hexed your knees? Totally, was the, the guy who hexed your knees was the authority of, the, of that gym or that dojo? Yeah, 
the leader of the rival group, uh, Canto Gallo. F you, Canto Gallo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a huge, massive clearing. Um, I had this unconscious, subconscious belief in my system that got locked in there when I was a child through an abuse pattern. And it would show up in my life whenever I felt overwhelmed and unsupported. But it would only show up when I felt overwhelmed and unsupported if that was a lie. Like, say I had total support in my surroundings, but I would make the projection that I was unsupported. Like the internal victim would come out. And uh, when that cleared for me, all my back issues, all my hip issues were just gone. Like, and I had like a two year bout of like having like my, my sacrum and my low back go out, like, you know, every other month it would just go out, go out, go out. But when I had that thought that, that misbelief, you know, I was regressed back to when that misbelief first happened and I got to like fully feel it in its virgin state. Once that happened, it un- it unwound from my biofield and my, my body corresponded. Oh, that's a really good example, man. Yeah. I can think back in high school <laughs> where I played football and what reminds what? me of this? You, is, you play football? Yeah, yeah, I'm tall. <laughs> and actually, why I'm thinking about this is because our dog tonight, I was uh, throwing frisbees for him. And oh, this is actually a really good example of how, because this is the second time that I can think of where the injury happened to my dog, but it was actually related to me on an energy, like my stuck energy thing. <laughs> so here's the example, all right? The, the right ankle has the possibility to get stuck energy around procrastination or perfectionism. Anytime that we're like feeling immobilized by one of those two things, uh, then it's a front of the right ankle issue. When I say front, I think it is more like um, the outside front. That makes sense. Like the back uh, is a little bit more like the inner ankle, like inner towards the body right towards the other leg. So in high school in football, I was the biggest procrastinator ever, (laughs) huge procrastinator. And I would constantly at football practice, I mostly procrastinated schoolwork, not so much football practice. You don't get a choice about football practice. You're doing what you're told, but I would constantly on the practice field, roll my right ankle like once or twice a week. To the point where I had to start taping it, wearing an ankle brace, yada, yada. And back then I had no idea that it was related to what a procrastinator I was. <laughs> now, the inner part of the right ankle is more about indecisiveness, right? Um, or trying to have it both ways in some sense of life. Anyway, the example from just tonight, uh, my dog, I was throwing a frisbee for him and he stepped in a hole and like rolled his doggy ankle so to speak and he was in horrible pain he was like yipe 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 because he was you know he took off full speed and then stepped in a hole in the yard and you know sprained something it was very sad 
And I, I'm realizing right now, the dog dug those damn holes for like ages ago. It's sort of his karma coming back on him. <laughs> but I'm, oh. I could have at any time taken just a few minutes of my life. I already had a bucket of dirt and everything and filled the holes for myself to make mowing easier. Never thought that it was for the dog. But my point being, the dog hurt his ankle and I was procrastinating about the holes. So <laughs> the, this, that example is great because it shows you how, um, and I've had other stories related to my dogs before too. Like one time I was kind of getting into my head about th- comparing myself to somebody else who had more, who had, you know, was more uh, accomplished as a podcaster. Um, not really like jealous, but just thinking, oh, I've been doing this so long. I should be further along. I should be as far along as them at least. And, you know, they're great, but I should be that far along. And uh, I ended up accidentally kicking my dog with my right foot when I was trying to kick one of the dog's toys. And I hurt my right foot (laughs) kicking the dog. So I'm like, I'm kicking myself for not being far enough along in my path. You know, not trusting the path I'm on. That sort of idea. So you can actually extend this to pets, apparently. In my personal experience, pets are a layer of your psyche as well. You know, Chance, I want to mention how uh, also the pun of the kicking yourself is also where the message is. And I also, I think I want to bring up the doctrine of signatures that we use around herbalism as being kind of like the herbalist version of punnery. And like, you know, the the body is telling you something with the kicking yourself. There's a pun in there. And I think the doctrine of signatures is kind of touching closely on the same energy of where, you know, there's a punchline to all of these synchronicities. Uh, and I, I just think that's fun to think of the doctrine of signatures as it relates to puns. That's cool. Well, it's all very metaphorical and punny and symbolic. That's one of the ways that like, even if you didn't memorize the biofield anatomy, if you just started trying to think of things going on with your body, like, well, what's the metaphor here? It will get you far. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if anyone's wondering, I did fill the holes <laughs> after, the, <laughs> after the dog hurt himself. I filled, the, I filled the holes. So it's all good now. No more risk. <laughs> I learned a good lesson about that. The other thing I want to add about the, uh, you know, it's the left knee covers challenges with letting go or not knowing what to let go of. That's a big one. People get stuck on. If you're ever wondering, like, um, if you're ever feeling challenged about letting go, maybe you don't have level of injury going on yet, but there's some maybe a relationship or some habit you really need to let go of. Just try like massaging your left knee. Try giving your left knee some love. Try getting some stretches in that region of your field. If you've got tuning forks, try applying sound, you know, weighted tuning forks on the leg or playing a tuning fork around the knee. And that will help loosen up the resistance to letting go. You know, you you can use this pro proactively too, not just like, you know, this is preventative medicine. <laughs> Not just waiting till something breaks and then figuring out, well, why did it break? Ideally, you would even, you know, work with your body and it as 
the mind that it is um, before there's a, a problem. And the left ankle can get us, um, can make us feel stuck to, it doesn't make us feel it stuck, but the left ankle is where we hold on to the thoughts of feeling stuck to stress or fear or anxiety of people and situations. And then the, uh, the inside back of the left ankle is where you might not even know why you're stressed or where it's coming from. So if you're really hiding it from yourself, it'd be more on the, uh, the inner back part. And then back to the right ankle, this whole perfectionism and procrastination It's important to understand that those two things, perfectionism and procrastination are most often, most cases that I see, they're actually this, <laughs> they flow in and out of each other and become uh, difficult to recognize which is which. So I call it procrastifectionism. <laughs> so <laughs> where you where you will perfect pointless details but neglect important things you know my 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 example i use the most is when i first started podcasting i used to go and edit the show it was an audio only show i would edit every little um and and gap of sound and crutch word and try to perfect it while what i really needed to be doing was like improving my life in some way or <laughs> improving, uh, you know, doing some kind of more better marketing or, or connecting with people to have on the show or getting myself out there. Like there are lots of things I could have spent that time on that would have been more beneficial and actually got me somewhere. Instead, I wasted all that time doing perfectionism that to me, it felt like I was, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm focusing on all these little details. I'm making it perfect. But actually, I was just procrastinating and using that behavior as a way to pat myself on the back and be like, see, you're not procrastinating. You're working hard. But it was all in an avoidance thing. So understand that perfectionism is avoidance. <laughs> it's an avoidance tactic. And that's not something you probably hear said about it very often, but it will help you uh, if you realize that about yourself. <laughs> It's a Logan's like, it's the purity spiral. <laughs> it is kind of a type of purity spiral. Yes. Totally. Yeah. You know, Nietzsche, Nietzsche, he used to say that even, uh, even your virtues can become a vice. And I think that's a interesting one to ponder. Uh, it's all about the, the middle road. Don't be attached on being Mr. Perfect. Um, and my buddy, he used to call it analysis paralysis. Yeah. It's another one. It's kind of a mixture of the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Analysis paralysis can be a right ankle thing. Because it's basically it's I can't move forward until everything is perfect. Like that's usually the most general way that the belief uh, that gets hung up in the right ankle is. All right. So I'm glad we gave ourselves a lot of a lot of examples from the feet, ankles, knees. So it's a big one for people because this is our mobility in life. This is how we get where we want to go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's locomotion, baby. Very now, but, now, we had a question in the Vibrant Colin line, and I happened to have a chance to check it out before the, uh, before the show started. So I'm going to play this because it corresponds to the next area of the biofield. So we got about a minute. Check out what Mick has to say here. Hey, Chance. I'm curious to know if you've ever helped anyone with um, chronic fatigue syndrome, like using 
biofuel tuning or if that's possible or I have a friend from grade school and like I've been trying to suggest things for her anytime I hear like anything of uh like substance that would work and this like biofield tuning sounds like it works I haven't ever tried it but like I have singing bowls and like I don't I know that's not the same but it's kind of close right <laughs> anyway like I just want to know if you have any uh, experience with chronic fatigue syndrome it's a great question and thank you for sending that in I Good time to remind people that every episode of Vibrant, we have a call-in line where you can leave us audio voice messages, uh, questions, and oh, I see that there's some stuff in here since then. Now, <laughs> can't necessarily always get to all of it if it gets loaded up, but I do like to see stuff go in there and I try to play what com comes up, and I appreciate that question. It applies to the root chakra most of all. So. I will say I've never worked with somebody who claimed chronic fatigue syndrome as like a diagnostic label. Right. But how many people are just regular fatigued? And if they went to the, the white coat wizard, he would be like, oh, you've got CFS, CFS. <laughs> right. You probably I probably I could probably convince a doctor I had chronic fatigue syndrome myself if I really wanted to. I don't think it would be that hard. So anyway, not saying that that person that you're referring to isn't having a hard time with their energy. I'm sure that I'm sure it's possible. Uh, so we're going to look at the root chakra now. This is the part of our field that covers the, the general region of our tailbone, our legs and feet. Yes, are kind of rolled up in that. Our hips, our pelvis area relates to our excretion of things from our body. <laughs> um, to some degree, like the, the digestive tract and the intestines are part of the system as well. There's, so the thing about the chakra system is to, cons to know that it's a generalization and there's overlap. So one organ system might, for example, the intestines could have something to do with the root or something to do with the sacral, right? Uh, that applies even to the, uh, yeah, that applies to a lot of this. So just keep that in mind. So when we're working with tuning, with biofield tuning, one of the advantages of it is we don't typically have to target a specific body part. Instead, we can target a one of these chakra centers because how you consider, think of it like colors, right? Or tones. How many tones are there or like um, notes that make up a scale? How many colors are there in a prism, right? So everybody is a unique being. Just like that zebra painting behind Gabriel is not the same as this painting of my birth chart I have over to the left of me, but both of those paintings were created using the same seven colors of a prism, right? So that's why I like to go for the, the chakra uh, system as how we conceive of all this, because we're addressing it on the color level, and those colors correspond to some part of the range of your emotions, some part of the range of how you imagine and think. And it, all, all things can kind of break up into a categorization system that pertains to these colors or tones. 
And so the root is the red. It's thus related a lot to, you know, whenever it's in flow, whenever it's working properly, we feel a unification in our thoughts and our actions. We have a good home life, feel safe at home. We have material security. Our livelihood, what we do for work, is aligned with our spirit, who we, who we think we are, why we're supposed to be here. And the most important part of it is we have enough energy for our daily life when the root chakra is working correctly. So one thing I want to say, too, is when there's off-balance energy, stuck energy, we're not, we're not saying that it means that part of your field is just not functioning. It's like a percentages game. So whatever is stuck there is limiting how that part of your field expresses, limiting your potential. With the root chakra, when there's something off balance and causing it to express in a low energy way, you get poor sleep. You're not feeling well rested. You're uninspired. <laughs> you dread work. I literally uh, tuned a guy just last night who, <laughs> sorry, Foo Bear, just tuning in. Who is that WWE superstar in the middle? <laughs> Slick pimp in it. Sorry. Okay. Anyway. I had a tuning with the guy last night who uh, the way he described his relationship to his work is Peter Gibbons from office space. <laughs> if anybody's seen office space, loved that movie. Mm -hmm. So the whole dreading work thing is typically a root deal. Uh, having survival fears can be part of it. Fight, flight, freeze reactions, feeling overburdened, feeling burnt out. So this is why I think it applies to that idea of chronic fatigue syndrome. When, for example, uh, the, right, the right hip, right side of the root chakra, when there's some problem there, it often shows up in the sense of us being overactive physically or like doing too much, burning ourselves out. The most common way that that plays out is somebody has taken on a belief that says to themselves, and it's unconscious, remember, I am, if I am not working myself to the point of burnout, then I must not be trying hard enough. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. It's like the no pain, no game, especially the boomer generation. They get this really bad. Like, so if you, and here's how this plays out for you in the body. If you have that belief that I'm only good enough if I'm working myself half to death, then your body will cause you to, it will cue you to wake up too early in the morning before you're fully rested. You will experience the sense of being tired, exhausted, and burned out even before you really do that much work <laughs> because your body is fulfilling the conditions of that belief of what it would take for you to be good enough, which is to be burned out, to feel like you're exhausted. So that's most of the time that ends up being like why somebody has uh root chakra or i'm sorry someone has chronic fatigue is pro is often because of something like that um but it can also be more on the mental level if you you know if you're overactive on your thinking about all the stuff that you should do you're go i call it the torturous to-do list <laughs> often you know comes from taking on too much responsibility you can actually spend energy mentally in thinking 
that costs you energy that then you don't have it to do physical action later with. So if you're repetitively thinking about your to-do list, it burns you out. And, you, you know, it's kind of like that decision fatigue thing we talked about in the Loki show. That making a lot of choices, that's mental activity, can exhaust people. While thinking, thinking about how much responsibility you have, you know, I just say the simplest thing is don't do the work in your head before it's time to do it in real life. Save the work for when it's actually time to do the work. Don't think about it when you're not doing it. There's no need. Good motto. That's a good <laughs> motto. Very good. And that will keep you from being in that perpetual burnout state. Uh, the left side is more about the, um, the fears side. And the right side is more about the, uh, the guilt and the over, overdriving things. So left side of the root could have like fear of being seen, fear of being exposed. will come about as shyness. Um, so you're actually getting the result of having less physical energy to do stuff from the belief of I'm shy or I'm afraid to be seen doing stuff. <laughs> and I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to stand out. So keep that in mind too. Sometimes it's like a little more subtle. You wouldn't expect that, but like uh, a, a extreme shyness that's actually based in some kind of fear, maybe from some kind of past trauma. See this a lot with people who had alcoholic parents or an alcoholic parent. Because the alcoholic parent will, when they see somebody that's doing better than them, <laughs> that they have authority over, they tend to like poop on that party. <laughs> you know what I mean? They blow up at the kid like who was doing nothing wrong, just enjoying themselves. And like they'll find something to yell at them over. So that causes a that can cause the reaction of like, well, I don't want anyone to see whenever I'm doing well or see when I'm doing something I like. So I got to hide that. And so then you reduce the type of actions you'll take in the world publicly all based on this old trauma that, or this old conditioning that came about from the way the parent behaved. So these are the type of things. I could go over zillions of examples. And if we're talking about the more mental level rather than the physical level, um, you know, because people, you're not lazy. <laughs> That's not, nobody's lazy in, innately. It's a conditioning thing. Uh, laziness, shyness can, can basically masquerade as laziness. But that, what if you're Mexican? I hopeless at that point. <laughs> no, but it <laughs> when you when you see those type of patterns that you might be able to apply to large groups of people or or races or nationalities, it's probably a, a cultural. There's a cultural mind, you know, and that cultural mind can cause just the same type of conditioning as a familial vibe. So, yeah, I, I don't think anybody is a, I don't, like I said, I don't think you have a personality at your core. <laughs> at your core, you're the I am. <laughs> you get to decide. But conditioning creates the idea of personality yep. and we outsource our responsibility onto it. So anyway, on the, the mental side with the left, it's, a, it, it's more about if you think about stuff that you'd like to do, but you never take any action or steps towards those things that you spend time thinking about you're daydreaming, but you're never actually putting the pen to paper or, uh, you know, making any kind of move that actually burns out your root chakra, uh, capacitance as well, or that's a symptom of having low root chakra capacitance. So yeah, I just covered a lot here, but this is like maybe the most important one, uh, for, for people to get their life straightened out. You know, it's kind of cool because I'm I'm learning how to ground out structures 
correctly. It's a, it's a theme in my life because in polarity therapy, the the therapist being me is the ground rod to in the circuit. So whatever noise, whatever impedance is in the circuit between myself and whoever I'm in relation with, that energy is then sent to that virtual root, like that in that previous graphic you had of that that virtual ground. And <clears throat> and what we're finding out, like when you ground a building, um, there's something to do with the surface area of like the rods or whatever you're putting in the ground to like actually send the energy. If that is insufficient surface area, like if that aspect that you're you're using to ground out a normal structure isn't large enough, you have so much more noise in the system, therefore resistance, therefore loss, inefficiency. It's really interesting to see that. So I, I just find in my life, that's just a reoccurring theme. Find ground, find ground, find ground. And, and ground, like actually make sure it's sufficient ground. And I really see that play out with my clients with the with the lower extremities. Like if people have really tight hamstrings, that usually throws off the hip girdle, which is root chakra. That has everything to do with them not grounding. If they go outside and walk on somewhat of a rougher surface, that hurts their feet, like just walking on any surface. And that starts to break up all the fascia on the sole of their feet. Then the ground energy starts to return. And in a weird way, it unlocks their olfactory senses. Like I find the, the, the non-grounded people don't smell anything. They, they don't stop and smell the roses, right? <laughs> But the more grounded you are, the more present you are, and therefore the little nuances of life really start to come in. So it's so cool to see how that whole cycle works within the body. Hmm. I think that yeah, man. Wa- walking with, uh, I'll just say this real quick, Gabe, walking with your bare feet on the ground without any distraction, like no tech, no nothing, uh, no phone, no podcast in your ear. That is the time where you're like, the thing about your mind is that it wants like that centropic ordering principle of the universe. It wants to resolve this shit for you. You know, you, you, your core self wants to resolve these limiting things. So giving yourself the ground and the flow of walking and the attention without it being sucked by a device, you can naturally you start to have epiphanies that will resolve some of this stuff on its own. It's not like you can't fix this stuff for yourself, but a lot of us need the more uh, need help because we, we aren't taking the time or not. Everyone's taking the time. I love walking barefoot though. It majorly healing. Yes. Yes. Uh, I have to point out that's the Olf factory. The word Ulf is that's that's Norse for wolf. And here we are talking about returning the flow. Wolf in reverse is flow. Holy shit. And so I think this is wonderful. That it, it's almost like we're rewilding ourselves by we rewiring how we relate to our environment. I can love can I recommend a show to you guys? 
Sorry yeah, to interrupt, yeah. Gabe. Have you guys heard of the show Wolf Like Me? No. Dude, check it out. It's shot beautifully. If anything about the show is like, whoever the cinematographer is, it's shot in Adelaide, Australia. It's beautiful. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything other than flow, wolf, root. Go for it, wolf <laughs> like me. It's funny because we um, we also in the previous one brought up the dogs. <laughs> you know, they're a lot like the wolves. Yep, they understand flow. Okay, cool. Um, I'm gonna give a couple more examples here though, because when I see. Uh, when I see people who have like a distortion in their energy field of some part of the boundary is pushed out further away or pulled in too close, the root level is where that most commonly happens. And then people, their hips get thrown off, their leg length becomes uh, out of whack. One's longer, one's shorter. There was a client I had very recently where an experience they had of uh, almost being a, like sexually abused where their strategy as a little kid was, if I keep moving, then this person can't get me. <laughs> tragedy. <laughs> and it worked. And then they got away. Like their parent came and showed up and saved them or whatever. Um, that it caused this imbalance on the left side in the area of fear of being seen or shy or like not take, which is around not taking action, not doing the freeze aspect of uh, she was in the flight aspect in the sense that that left side of her hip energy field was pushed away. So it was like reject. It was bulging out. It was rejection of, it was rejection of, of freeze. <laughs> like freeze was not allowed. So in her personal experience, her hip was very tender and, and it was painful, but also her, uh, behavior you know would tend towards being like a, a bit hyperactive or hypomanic in a sense that could sometimes throw throw things off for her throw off her flow so that was really cool was finding the specific experience event where like what why would this why is your hip hurting it went back to that experience of i gotta keep moving and we reclaimed the belief in the energy because you know, that's not happening now, but when there's stuck energy that's related to a trauma like that, there's a part of your unconscious that's telling you that thing is happening right now. It's still here. Sure. The danger is still there. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I mean about healing trauma is about figuring out how it affected your behavior, not just knowing that the trauma happened <laughs> and you connect those dots and then you win. Okay. Sacral chakra. This relates to our digestion, our genitalia, stomach, intestines, the bladder. It's our, it's the energy of our creativity, like our physical creative force, the energy we use to create uh, satisfaction and gratitude are part of this, our cash flow, everything flow related self-worth, intimacy, relationships, pleasure, all this stuff is sacral stuff. On a balanced sacral chakra, you're going to have healthy intimacy and relationships. You'll feel like you got the mojo. 
effortless. Uh, you'll have, you know, the, the Wu way is a better way of putting it. The ability to do the whole effortless effort thing. You're putting in max effort, but it feels effortless. That's when you really know your sacral chakra is rocking. Uh, you finish what you start. That's a big one. You feel like you're properly rewarded for your efforts or you get what you need back for what you give. So it's about receiving. You feel satisfied and grateful and you're able to digest things with ease. The uh, low energy sacral chakra, you might have creative output blocks, unsatisfied relationships and life, sexually dysfunctional or sexually deranged behavior or habits in that sense. Like either it's not working or you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Both of those could be part of it. Um, Low self-worth, not asking for what one needs out of life, problems gaining or losing weight, uh, digestive problems, and a couple more that I just didn't fit in. Addiction, addictive behavior is largely a sacral chakra thing more than uh, can sometimes have some solar solar plexus. But I find it more in the sacral because it's about the hunger. You know, you can't satiate. So you keep doing the thing. Uh, the other thing, the sacral chakra could possibly, if you have some stuck energy in the sacral chakra, you could potentially be in physical pain in like a, I mean, like in a systemic way, either like numb to the sensations of your body or in full body systemic pain can happen because sacral governs are pain to pleasure threshold. And when it's in flow, you ought to be able to just feel good anywhere in your body that you put your attention into fingertips. Paying attention, putting my attention there. Ah, oh, feel that tingly good feeling. You know, my my elbow. Oh, I can feel my elbow. It feels good <laughs> whenever I, I put my awareness into it. Um, right side of the sacral chakra is the where we get stuck on guilt and shame. Uh, anything self-recriminating. The back side of the right is the bodily pleasure thing where you might have constant pain in your body, or at the very least you block your ability to feel pleasure and you see how the guilt would relate to pleasure, right? Guilty pleasures, even in our lexicon, the left side is frustration and resentment. That's more the digestive stuff. I find is that undigested frustrations and resentments cause problems in our ability to digest food. And so we might blow it up. We might have trouble losing weight. Or you might have trouble. I, I've found that like trouble holding on to weight is more guilt and shame. Trouble with losing weight is more frustration and resentment, typically. Although, as you can see, there would be some of each. <laughs> you, can't, you can't really be overweight without feeling ashamed, uh, typically. Uh, anything flow-related, circulatory or menstrual is also in there with the left side. But especially the flow state in general, as I described, the, the Wu Wei. And I'll give, unless somebody wants to chime in, actually, someone should chime in because I'm looking for a good example in my journal. I have it here somewhere. I've been thinking about uh, intestines uh, relating to um, Medusa turning men into stones. Even the word into stones is very similar to intestines. And, the, and when something is hideous or frightful, it turns your guts, you know, your, your stomach clenches. Uh, 
and when men are one of many common uh whatever infirmitary conditions is when you have you know uh gallstones bladder stones Mm -hmm. you know so yeah uh, just an interesting weave that she turns men into stone but she also you know probably loosened their bowels (laughs) in their final moment humiliation ritual (laughs) (laughs) oh man i uh (laughs) Something I didn't talk about in the root chakra, but dude, a cl- you will find this interesting. A client that I had last night, I already brought him up a little bit, but he, uh, the first place that I put my fork was in the back left of the root chakra where the thinking about doing stuff, but not doing it happens. So it's like future oriented stuff. Um, you know, that also shows him the third eye, third eye a bit, like projecting our well-being into a future outcome, but that it never comes or we move the goalposts on ourselves. But I hit this spot of stuck energy in this guy at about six years old. And when you find it, whenever I say like, okay, here's the feeling or here's the experience and here's the age. 99% of the time, the person immediately is like, oh, it's this. And like a memory or some kind of knowing will just come out of, no, come out of nowhere. They'll all of a sudden, they'll be able to connect to, to what it was. And what popped into this dude's head was six years old watching the movie free Willy two. And I've never seen it, but apparently like there's this whole thread in that movie about some like Hindu occultism and like some book of spells. And there's a point in the movie where there's chanting in, in Hindi. And he looked up later in life, what the chant was or and in English. It meant you will be free in the future. So <laughs> this like Peter Gibbons. Oh, weird. So like, but how that, why would that show up in his biofield? Well, for him, it showed up in his biofield of, I think about what I want to do in the future, but it's not the future yet. So I don't do what I want. I'm not free yet. I'm, I'll be free in the future. Mm. think the spells that are getting put on kids that we don't even know about. It's so bizarre because that was in a language he wouldn't have even understood. Right. But it got into his mind. Right. Right. It's wacky, dude. That is wacky. (laughs) That is so wacky. Same, um, same individual. He's a great client. We, we worked really well together and, uh, he was wanting some help with tendency towards, some substance abuse and I think like drinking sometimes drinking too much or drinking too often, you know, feeling a little out of control with that. And um, we found in the sacral chakra that basically, uh, you know, there's this hunger that we, there's two forms of hunger, right? There's hunger. Like we need to eat something or consume something. And then there's hunger for other forms of fulfillment. Like, uh, hunger to feel satisfied with creating basically a hunger to feel the flow of flow state all kind, there's like there's spiritual types of hunger and i found very specifically for this individual that he had been he, like experiences had wired him to mistake hung, one form of hunger for the other so like what he really was needing or what is really was deficient in was like making, creating, flowing. 
And instead to fill that hunger was going in alcohol. And it kind of compounded in two ways with what we found that, uh, I found that when his mom was pregnant with him, I was like, I think what is, what it feels like to me is that when your mom was pregnant with you, she had uh, some kind of secretive unhealthy habit that she, you know, only did when she was alone and no one else was that was there. And that that caused him to associate secretive self-destructive behaviors with pleasure. So I found that in the part of the root chakra, the back, right, that has to do with bodily pleasure. And he wasn't sure because he wasn't there because he was in the womb, but his mom was 23 or 24 when she was pregnant with him and he wasn't planned. So if she had some kind of habits like drinking or smoking or whatever, and this should be like a shame to do that in front of people because she's pregnant now, but it's her guilty pleasure. She's doing it off on the side alone. So he's getting this conditioning of right. self-destructive habits are my pleasure from when he's in the womb. And he doesn't, you know, and he's struggling as an adult to figure out like, why do I keep doing this? Why am I caught in this loop? So this is, this is the type of thing that tuning can help you get a handle on because knowing is like the whole deal. If you figure out why it was happening, now he's not going to ever, no matter what, no matter how much he does or doesn't do the behavior, he can no longer look at that behavior and say, that's my personality. That's just how I am. Like it's a, it was a conditioned thing. Yeah. You can break the conditioning. That's brilliant. That's very refined. That's beautiful. Well, that's the advantage of, you know, this knowing the anatomy can help you put the pieces together yourself, but the advantage of working with somebody that does this, or at least my, my, I don't know, I'm not actually trained, <laughs> but my, my methodology has evolved to be that I don't just look for the generalization of the stuck energy. I look for what's your version of it. How, like, what's your unique version of it? So for him, it was that, you know, and I got other examples we, we can get into of like someone's particular unique version of it. Um, oh, Foo Bear says, do you have to connect these dots or does the tuning itself relieve the unbalanced biofields? Great question. So tuning itself can relieve the unbalanced biofield, but without connecting the dots, you you're more likely to fall back into the old pattern of thinking eventually. So tuning itself can be like a temporary help, temporary help, and it can it can be a very great help. But the likelihood of of falling back into the pattern is significantly less if you know why the pattern got there. Luckily, tuning can help you understand both sides of it. But if you don't have like, you know, if you aren't maybe um, maybe you and your wife or you and your husband out there want to do this for each other. You don't have to be like a a seasoned veteran of biofield tuning where you can pinpoint the specifics like I'm describing for it to be effective. If you are tuning each other regularly, you can help, you know, it will eventually click for you if you can stay in the coherent behavior pattern and thought pattern long enough. So hopefully that answers the question. Um, you know, you got, you do got to get, you got to do the work of connecting the dots eventually, but you can definitely help yourself in the interim. Uh, you know, if you don't want to go to somebody who can maybe give you the full, the full details, the full analysis. Hopefully that all makes sense. 
I think it does. Is anybody going to compliment my slides? I feel like they look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm at like a yogurt, yoga teaching training camp, 1998. <laughs> 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 now, you know, though, it'd be interesting to come up with a version of like this that was more uh, zodiacal based. That'd be pretty cool. That would be titties, man. You hear me? Yeah. Maybe someday. Yeah. Thank you in the chat for telling me they're pretty. <laughs> Solar plexus. This is, you know, this is a really important center. I think it's most important, more important even than the heart. Like I prefer to be rooted in my solar plexus, my consciousness more solar plexus than even heart. Wow, look at all these compliments. I love compliments. Thank you. <laughs> the Leo, the Leo rising loves the compliments. So the solar plexus has probably the, the widest array of different organs that are under the umbrella. A lot of a lot of organs are part of this. It's the middle of your chest, you know, the torso. It governs spleen, pancreas, kidneys, adrenals, liver, gallbladder, probably more stuff, too. But like that's the basics. The uh, positive expression of your solar plexus is that you're confident and you're a strong advocate for yourself. You know what you want out of your life. You set and follow through with your goals. Your leadership capacity is there when needed. And you are free and clear of addictions. What I mean by that is you're not like, you know, you don't feel powerless to not do something. and You don't feel powerless to do something. If the solar plexus is in some low energy uh, low self-esteem, not knowing what you want. You may be easily manipulated by others. Addictive behavior, poor willpower. and But most commonly, rage, hatred, powerlessness. Um, and another thing I could add to this, all of these could probably have things added to them. But so on the low energy and balanced expression sides would be bad relationship with a with a parent or both parents and or versus good relationship and i say that like okay that's maybe not the best way to put it cuz sometimes it's more about it's more on them i guess like but you're at peace with your parents whether or not their behavior is good or not <laughs> you know what i mean so like maybe you don't have much of a relationship with them cuz you need a boundary sure but you're not like you know, you're not heard about it anymore. You've resolved it. However, that being said, I have more than once done a tuning for somebody that we worked on uh, their problems with their parents, which is a solar plexus level. And that parent reached out and resolved or, or there was catharsis, like to the point where one time a guy hadn't even talked to his mom for five plus years. And within the week of the tuning, his mom got in touch with them and they hadn't even spoken for that long. So this kind of thing can happen. Like, and the, um, <clears throat> another thing you could add to this is if you are a parent, there is sometimes a relationship with your children showing up in here. Like if you're the mother or you're the dad, that can sometimes happen. Uh, but the thing to know is that you're, especially your family, 
they're like extensions of your biofield too. <laughs> and tuning that you do to help yourself actually can have an influence on people that are that are related to you biologically. Sometimes also, not even biologically. Also, like people that aren't alive, you can you can heal ancestors. It's it's a it's a very interesting thing, but it's like you know, we believe in time because there's apparently succession of events and things like that, but you know, <laughs> in the eternal it's all now, so it's like if you heal something within you and like you take responsibility and go all the way through it and stop the blame game, you, <laughs> you might have some ancestors come and visit you and thank you for, for uh, finally fixing that within the family line. Yeah. Uh, I have occasionally had ancestors show up into tunings. I, I don't look for it on purpose, but sometimes they make themselves known. Um, and I, it's kind of like how I've described in the past where when I first started tuning, I was looking for the, the fork to make a different sound. And then eventually I realized that I would get a cue in my, my head and then my ears would click and pop and all that. I've started to notice how um, when the ancestor shows up, they knock on the wall. <laughs> Like right next to me, <laughs> there'll be like three, three hard knocks, like right next to me. And I go, Oh, hello. You're here. Okay. <laughs> hello, chancy poo. It's like, it's like they're old fashioned. <laughs> they, they still do it the old way. They don't even use the buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, Pay attention to like bizarre knocks though around your home, man. In the moment, like if you if you hear knocking in your house, there could be uh think about what were you thinking about or doing right then when the knock happened? Might be an ancestor trying to flag you about it. You never know. But yeah, they come up. Um sometimes they need to yeah. be sent to the light and like rejoined to yeah. the source, and sometimes yep. they just want to show you uh, where the person needs help. Sometimes they're there to help. Sometimes they're there to be helped, but both cases, it helps the client. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, but that's getting too far out of the scope, maybe to uh, talk too much more about ancestors. Right side of the solar plexus, you got the possibility of like anger addiction, destructive anger. And I mean, anger on the level of like, so anger has relate emotion of anger can show up in the heart and in the throat in its own ways. The solar plexus, how it shows up is like the type of anger where it takes over, where you surrender to it and you become somebody else and the anger is driving that type of anger, like rage and hatred, right? Not just your run of the mill irritation or aggressive feelings. Uh, yeah, and the dad is on the right side and the, on the left side is any form of powerlessness and any kind of like cripplingly overly cautious. <laughs> kind of funny because the, the caution tape is yellow <laughs> in, in the real world, the, the yellow light on the on the stoplights and then the grief over lack of support from the mom is on the left side of the solar plexus. So, um, you know, I guess what I want to say about this is. Consider how 
start considering how if you have maybe kidney, adrenal, pancreas, spleen, bladder problems, like it could relate to one of these four quadrants of the energy field, feeling powerless or feeling the rage and the hatred or the problems with support from your parents. A little more, as we go up, the things become a little more abstract, right? As we're leaving the physical of the root and heading up towards the crown. Gabe, you look like you got a a thought. uh, Yeah. um, So very recently uh, I did a, took the Enneagram on top of the the Iliad and my favorite scene in the Iliad where Achilles is about to draw his sword on Agamemnon. And before that sword comes out, Athena comes down and she grabs him by the hair and she pulls him back and she's like, cool your jets, homeboy. You got to think this through. And in that moment, he's in the posture. His body language is perfectly in the position of a Sagittarius. You know how Sagittarius has the bent knees, uh, has kind of cockeyed hips. that shape is the shape of Achilles being pulled by Athena. Athena is uh, right above the head of Sagittarius is the shield of the Zodiac. It's the scutum. And Athena is fully, uh, she has all her defensive battle armor intact. So uh, that one element of Athena is literally hiding above the head of Sagittarius. But he's, uh, he's, uh, walking on the river Styx, which means hate. The name of the river Styx is the is the river of hate, uh, and he's burning with anger. Um, and so, uh, all of these things are very uh, much in the position of the number one uh, personality type: the perfectionist, the reformer, with a shadow of wrath or anger. Um, and it's so close to hate. Anger looks like hate. Uh, from for other people they presume when they see somebody angry they presume that they're hateful uh but i think there's a fine difference but i just always love to point out that anger is nothing more than a demand for something better uh number one personalities they have high ideals they have a a perfect image in their head and if it's not perfect then they're going to get angry very quickly uh becomes a very ready-made reaction uh Oh, oh, but Athena comes and she suggests that he thinks of something else or that he he uh, puts the sword away and goes with a different uh, battle strategy. And I'm thinking of the word suggest because we're at Sagittarius and this ghost is whispering in his ear to tell him to cool your jets, homeboy. So I'm even thinking of the word sage geist. Could it be relating to that moment of Sagittarius, this warrior, uh, deciding not to kill his boss if he wants to have a job tomorrow? (laughs) Uh, You telling that story reminded me of uh, a client that I had where he was having the angry blowups. like. 
he described it as feeling energy rising up from his root. And once it got up into his head, he'd feel it literally climbing. And once it got up to like where his eyes were, he would actually black out temporarily. And like his vision would go dark and would come back tinted red. And he would be like the Joker all of a sudden, like laughing maniacally, ready to smash shit, uh, yell, scream, full rage mode. Wow. And he's trying to figure out why, why is this happening? <laughs> you know, he wanted to stop that. Part of the reason, um, you know, to give a little snippet of it was he had a father who is a lawyer and when he and his his mother was way younger than his dad. And when they got married, it was literally like a contract deal that if you have kids right away as you're 20 years old and he's like 30 or in his mid 30s or something, uh, the dad like the dad's like 15 or 16 years older. If you have kids with me right away, then I'll marry you, basically, like very legalistic. And uh, that was basically the attitude of things in their family was in terms of conflict was bottling up the anger as you're building a case. (laughs) And it was never about finding win wins. It was about who's right and who's stupid, who's good, who's bad. It's very legalistic like that to the point where like, you know hatred for the competition the you're the prosecutor that guy's a criminal you know what i mean and that had a lot to do with that had, i'm sure that had a lot to do with the way his relationship to anger got formed <laughs> uh, maybe not all of it you know but that's a little snippet of the story and so you gotta you know everyone's got a unique version of how it might go down for them but i found that story really interesting <laughs> making a contract to have kids uh, I see Topher. Topher, are you doing all right, energy wise? <laughs> no, we're getting I'm close to bedtime. I'm fading a little bit. Gabe, did you move the performer from one from three to one? No, uh, performer still th- number three. Performer achiever still number three. Number one is a perfectionist achiever with a shadow of uh, wrath. Did I misspeak? I might have said no, it wrong. No, no. I just I I I mis I misremembered from achiever to performer. I made that switch in my mind. Gotcha. They they do have that in common. They're both uh, uh, pro- proactive. They get a lot of uh, they have a lot of expectation. People expect a lot out of both ones and threes. What's the shadow of the three? Uh, deceit. That's right. All right. Looking at the heart chakra, the middle, the earth, anagram for earth. Heart chakra. This one should seem obvious, but it governs heart, lungs, shoulders, region of your armpits. And there's some overlap into the neck that cross pollinates with the throat. This is our love, compassion, empathy, healthy processing of grief and sadness. When it's working correctly, we follow our heart's desires. We easily laugh, love, cry, etc. appropriately. We have strong empathy for ourselves and others and an awareness of our inner outer world connection with a healthy ability to assert ourselves. need to make some corrections on this slide. Type boos. Uh, low energy heart chakra, imbalanced heart chakra will feel challenged to express love and joy or to feel love and joy. Uh, 
And also we could feel difficulty. Um, we might not feel angry. We might not feel sad when we should. That's something you'd add here. <laughs> That's part of the flavors that we're actually supposed to be able to feel. So if you are type of person that, uh, <laughs> you know, you would never, you don't even feel, you don't even cry when like your uncle dies or something like that. You may have some blocked heart chakra energy. Um, you don't have to just get stuck in stuck in mopiness or whatever, but just know that like what we consider negative emotions, especially with anger and sadness with the heart chakra, our identification of those parts of our spectrum as being unwanted is where energy gets stuck. Like I don't like angry people. Angry people suck. You, you close that feeling off from yourself with that type of belief. And guess what? Now you're a pushover. Now you don't have very much aggressive or assertive ability because that's what anger is for. Or you say, I hate being sad. I don't want to be sad. Or I don't like it when people around me are sad or depressed. That also lowers your threshold of joy because sadness and joy are part of the same spectrum. They are actually the same energy. You know, it's the day and night version of the same energy, all of that. <laughs> so, um, low energy heart chakra can also get stuck waiting for others to change. That's a, that can be a big one. Uh, you know, we see that in relationships where you'll stay in a abusive or a bad dynamic because you're waiting for them to change <laughs> or you think you can change them, that type of deal. Pessimistic attitudes, viewing the others in the world as negative, perpetual victimhood, all that is heart chakra potential stuff. Uh, on So to realize too, like if you're having problems with your lungs or you're doing some kind of behavior that compromises your lungs, you're probably like somebody that, you know, you're someone who smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, right? Most likely they are the reason why they're struggling to quit doing that is, or why they're doing it energetically is because they're trying, they're, they're doing that to mask themselves from being able to feel the sadness, like how sad they are about their life or their grief or their loss. <laughs> you know, it is I like, I don't think I've ever seen somebody smoking a cigarette and crying at the same time. Have you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> You know, you might see a drinker who's crying while they're drinking, but you never see a, someone smoking and crying at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a reason. Um, Good observation. Yeah. So the left side is where that uh, stuck sadness, grief and loss can get hung up. And what is usually the case is it's unconscious, as in you don't know it's there. You don't feel it. Uh, you're not feeling it when you should feel it. That's what it means to be stuck um, on the backside for the left is being hurt by other people's negative energy or absorbing the sadness or grief or just bad vibes from the world. That's the victim side, you know, like they're doing it to me. <laughs> you might have an opening in your energy field at that level. I actually had a client once who um, <clears throat> had a significant amount of stuck energy on the back left side of the heart chakra and felt like throughout her life was constantly vulnerable to psychic attack. And it was like a repetitive problem of uh, 
energy vampires, psychic vampires. And we found the root of that was with her mom being 13 when she was pregnant with her. (laughs) And so she was like constantly feeling judged and ashamed and attacked uh, or like people were looking daggers at her. Like you shouldn't be third. You shouldn't be pregnant. You 13 year old. And this lady was, you know, quite a bit older. So at the age when the, the year, I don't know, imagine like a 13 year old being pregnant in the sixties or whatever. That's uh, <laughs> it's all even different ball game than now. Right. So that set up the belief system of like other people are going to judge me and think bad thoughts at me. And I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel hurt by that. <laughs> that was where it came from. So there's an example there. Um, right side is saying yes. When we mean no, having poor boundaries, emotional ter- caretaking, and also not saying anything when we want to say something to express love or desire. So when I first started doing tuning, I thought the right side of the heart chakra was all about like never saying no when you need to. But I realized quickly that like a lot of people, crazy as it sounds, their challenges with setting boundaries or with being like a people pleasing, overdoing it caretaker is goes back to like some experience maybe when they're a kid and they had a crush on somebody and they, and they never worked up the courage to tell them how they felt. They never expressed their love. Like, <laughs> cause you realize that the younger you are, the more intense emotions are for you. So that emotion of pining away and unrequited love, unexpressed love for like, you know, a little kid, a 12 year old or something, 13 year old that can actually pattern your energy field that then later in life you become kind of a pushover won't set your boundaries or won't follow your heart then and so this these things then like it doesn't not okay not everybody that ever had a crush that they didn't tell their crush is going to get stuck over that it's going to get patterned over that but it can happen You know, not every trauma ends up patterning our field. Sometimes we process it properly, healthily, and move on. It's different for everybody. And usually these things where there is a significant amount of stuck energy is in context with other parts of the field that relate to. And so it becomes kind of like a network of stuck energy places. (laughs) So I think we should, we're getting a little long. Uh, We should maybe move forward a bit. Chance, I'm bowing out. You're good, dude. Thanks for hanging with us. My heart chakra is telling me to love my pillow and my bed and my wife. And so I'm I'm honoring. uh, You rock tonight, man. It was great to have you. You see Peggy, the dog. (laughs) She says hello. The the fat wiener dog. Yeah. (laughs) I can hear the tail thumping. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good night, Peggy. She likes likes being on screen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, it's it's messing me up seeing you yawn and and uh, look tired. So I threw you off. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> Get I on out you of guys. here. Love you, dude. Thanks for hanging with us. It's always you're always welcome. You know that. Thank you. I I appreciate it. We'll we'll talk soon. All right, peace, brother. All right, as well. Big love. <laughs> Okay, so we're getting through it. There's not a lot more left. I'll try to maybe I'll pick up the pace a little bit. I'll make these slides available on Telegram too. Uh, throat chakra is our thyroid, throat, jaw, 
ears, mouth, our hearing has to do with communication, speaking, our truth, creativity as well, hearing others out and our healthy expression of emotion. That's one thing that gets lost on people is it's not just what we say it's how well we hear others can relate to the throat. It's a two way street. You know, it's communication. It's not just speaking. It's communication itself. Yeah, man, that's something I need to get better at is that step of repeating somebody else's words back to them in your own way so that you're being a good witness to them. And that draws out more from them when they see that you're a good witness. Yeah, that's like half the job as a podcast host. <laughs> it, it, it helps because also it's like it might help the audience to hear it a, a second way, different way, too. But for sure, I love the way you put that to reflect that you comprehend that you understand it's in the, you're affirming them. It makes them feel heard. And the thing that is most common in the throat chakra that I see is the pattern of feeling like people don't listen to you or being chronically interrupted. I probably talked about this a million times. <laughs> oh, Jenny says, Gabe is an amazing witness. You're everybody's favorite witness, dude. So I'm, it's nice that you're sharpening your, your skills and you're aware of that, but you're already a great witness. You do it with facial expressions and just general energetic enthusiasm. <laughs> so yeah, the throat chakra uh, can pattern where you actually expect to be unheard or expect to be interrupted. I, the joke I use is like you're wearing a, you know, the kick me sign, but instead of a kick me sign, it's a little post-it note on your back that says, don't listen to a word I say or interrupt me constantly. <laughs> so just knowing that can actually help. Like, do you feel that way? Well, just affirm to yourself right now. Then uh, when I speak, I'm heard. And I'm not going to be interrupted. Maybe, maybe affirm that a little bit extra if you're going into com converse with somebody that you have a repetitive issue with feeling unheard by. But realizing that, uh, you know, there's probably some experience from early in your life where you took on that expectation that you're not going to be heard uh, or that you're going to be interrupted a lot. And so if you can pinpoint that, then it'll help. That will really help. But it, at the end of the day, all this stuff is like beliefs that you can affirm to yourself a better version. And that will help as much as playing a tuning fork around you. And then the ultimate is if you can find the time and the point in your timeline and the experience where it got there. But anything that we think or feel or observe that we don't express can get stuck in the throat chakra. And Anything that we overthink, we feel it and we think about it, but we never say it in terms of feelings, anger and, and sadness can get stuck there. So the difference between stuck sadness, at the heart level and the throat level is that at the heart level, you are blocking the fact that you even feel it at all. <clears throat> and at the throat level, you're feeling it, but it's you feel it here in the heart, but it's not getting past your throat. So you feel it, but you don't say it. You're pissed off, but you don't tell the person you're pissed off, you know, like, you know I mean? so that's important. It's about feeling and expressing <laughs> and being okay with expressing things that aren't always the happiest or most positive. 
And the irony of it is if you are, if you are allowed, if you're mentally to yourself, your rule set says, I'm allowed to say something. If I'm angry, I'm allowed to say something. If I'm sad, you'll actually feel less sad and less angry. <laughs> you'll get a few test runs where it's like, okay, here's the option. All right. Here's the thing. Are you mad about that? And you, yeah. Okay. I, I make, I chirp about it. And then you don't really have to deal with it that much. <laughs> that's what it means for it to be in flow. If it's in flow, you're not feeling it all the time. It comes up, it's gone. It comes up, it's gone and you move on. It's when it's stuck is when it feels like you're, um, you know, always angry, always sad. And, uh, then it becomes like a, a negative feedback loop. You know, it's, that's the negative feedback loop. That's what compartmentalized energy is, is all about. Negative feedback loop. Yeah, buddy. So, so uh, I got to point out the phonetic anagram here is a truth. T-R-O-A-T-H. Troth. <laughs> um, but we're talking about speaking your truth, right? Um, wow, man. I never then, realized that. Dude, thank you for that. Something? Throat and truth and is an fun. anagram. Wow. That, that's so fun. And then... Um, the other thing I was thinking of is, uh, oh, the post-it sign, that kick me sign or don't take me seriously sign. Apparently, that's how uh, in France, that's how they actually behave on April Fool's Day. They put, they go up behind people and they put a sign. I think it's just a fish. And there's some some old tradition about putting a fish on a person on April Fool's Day. So yeah, that always uh, reminds me of April Fool's. Uh, which we're starting to think that um, the George Bush quote where he screwed up the fool me once, shame on you. you fool me, you're not going to fool me again. <laughs> we think that uh, he was intentionally muddying that wisdom so that the, so when he made a joke out of the joke, it makes it hard to recall the wisdom of that joke any longer. And so to a large degree now, we've realized that we are fooling ourselves and you just get so frustrated. <laughs> you don't even know the wisdom of the elders, um, but it's supposed to be, if you fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, is how it's supposed to be. I'm pretty sure, which is what we're talking about. Eventually you find out you're the one wearing the post-it note. <laughs> You might be a little old for this, but did you ever watch or read Harry Potter? No. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> just made me think of, uh, you're talking about April Fool's. We've been watching the Harry Potter movies because Jen never saw them. And I loved those books when I was a kid. And there's these twins that are, there's these twins that are characters in the story, kind of side characters, but they are pranksters and they're jokesters. and we're looking into the uh, the birth dates of the characters because this is a it's a magical story. It's very tied into occultism, esotericism, and of course, the author actually provided, even though it's maybe not in the narrative, the author put out there somewhere in the auxiliary lore that they the birthdays of the characters, and you'd be able to guess what the birthday was based on their behavior because it matches their zodiac sign, which is great. But the uh, the pranksters. These twins, they're called Fred and George. They're April 1st is their birthday. They're the April fools. 
And what makes that's them so wild. funny is that they tell the truth. You know, that's one of the things about the truth. Like, even if you tell the truth, yeah. like you say something that makes you angry, but you say it at the right timing, right when it needs to be said, probably people are going to laugh. And you just expressed anger and we're laughing. Okay. But if you bottle it up, you go Hulk smash. Nobody's laughing. So <laughs> the healthy thing to do is don't ever put anything in the bottle. The closer you can deliver the truth, even if it's an uncomfortable feeling or truth or whatever, uh, the closer in time to the when it should be delivered, the the better it feels to the point where it can even turn things funny that would have otherwise been yeah. negative or angry. So there's something, you know, okay. to keep in mind, too, yeah. is uh, it's not even That's like you transmute <laughs> like doing this properly. Flow is all about the transmutation. I love that. Yeah, man. Timing can be everything too, especially with that, the comedian's magical touch. Okay. We're almost home. Almost home guys. The third eye. This is our brain, our pineal bland, uh, bland, <laughs> pineal gland, intuition, our thought processes, mental clarity, imagination, visionary capacity, like what we can see pictures in our mind's eye, our spiritual connection, it's also a crown thing, but it can, it shows from the third eye too. And uh memory recall. <laughs> so when our third eye is working properly, we have our clarity of inner sight and visionary capacity. And I should add that our third eye and our eyes can relate to each other. Like our physical eyes it should, I guess that goes without saying, but maybe not. I didn't put physical eyes on this list. <laughs> Um, strong imagination, mental focus, acuity, all of that. But it's also, it has something to do with our place in the moment. Are we in the future? Are we in the past? Or are we in the now? That's a big part of the third eye. So, you know, as you go up, third eye and crown have some stuff to do with time. When our third eye is off balance, low energy, we may find it hard to focus or have difficulty with mental clarity. We may distrust or feel disconnected from our intuition and our inner guidance. And we will have discomfort with the present moment reality, probably because we're either comparing it to a past situation or a projected future situation. So on the right side, future oriented, it has to do with worrying about the future or the need to control it. Pushing most commonly, I see the right side of the third eye pushing their happiness onto future outcomes that never arrive. So it's like my, how I see myself can be related to the third eye and think about it this way. Like as above, so below your self-worth is your sacral chakra, but your third eye, if you make the heart, the middle and you fold things over like a sandwich, then the third eye is the as above to the sacral as the as below. The root chakra is the below. The throat chakra is the above. They mirror each other. What you put in your mouth goes to your gut and affects. So what you put in your mouth affects how you feel in your gut. How you feel in your gut affects what comes out of your mouth. Sometimes you even puke out your mouth. So you see the connection third eye and, and root, or I'm sorry, throat and root. Well, the third eye is your imaginary capacity, visionary capacity. The sacral is your creative energy to physically do the creation. So that there's a connection there. And the uh, think about they even say that your stomach has neural neural cells in it or whatever. You have a brain. Your stomach has a brain thinking with your stomach, thinking with your gut, whatever. 
That's the mirroring of the third eye to the sacral. And then the uh, solar plexus is your will, your power in the world. The crown is your spiritual sovereignty. So you can see the connection there too. It's a good way to help people understand the uh, fact that we actually have an as above, so below to the way our body energy system is designed. So anyway, with the right side imbalance of pushing our happiness onto future outcomes that never arrive, that's like, I will be satisfied with my life and myself once I achieve or accomplish this thing. When I have this thing, then I'll be good enough. Then I'll be happy. But that type of thinking, while it may be logical and a motive, as a motivating force, and what ends up happening inevitably is like, by the time you reach that destination that you're putting your well-being or happiness onto, uh, you at that point, you've already projected further into the future. And you're like, actually, this isn't good enough. I'll be satisfied with myself when I have done this. So it's because this stuck energy is your well-being or whatever. And it's over here. And as you walk over that direction, it's moving with you and it stays exactly the same distance away from you that it ever was. It's literally like the carrot on the stick in front of you and you can never get to it. <laughs> so that's the right side of the third eye can do that to us. If we have this future oriented thinking, um, here we go. <laughs> I like one of the most extreme cases I ever saw of it was a young, young man. I did a tuning for who had a very future oriented type of an impatience about him, like really imp impatient to be further along in his life than he was. And he's like 23. So you can see how you would feel that way. Like, you know, you see a lot of people crushing around you. You want to be that achieved, achieved and accomplished. But as we were trying to figure out like, okay, what is this future oriented seed thing? What are the seeds of that? And I found stuck energy at around seven years old. And it had this vibe of like death. Like, so I was like, okay, <laughs> here's a weird question, man. What about seven years old gave you a pre that you, what comes to mind when I say developed a preoccupation with death at seven. <laughs> and he says that when he was that age, his uncle died of cancer and they were very close with his uncle. And so he kind of saw his uncle decline and die of cancer. And the last memory he has with his uncle was sitting on a porch watching the sunset. And the sunset, his uncle says, when you see the sunset, that's all that orange and beautiful like that, you know, tomorrow is going to be a good day. And he never sees his uncle again. His uncle dies. So you can see how that puts on the belief of like tomorrow is when the good day is, but also death. Like he's going to, he dies tomorrow. You know, that was the good day. It's good to die. Also, this dude was a Scorpio, like heavy Scorpio placements in general. So he was like predisposed, I guess, or had an aptitude for kind of fascination with death and transformation. Right. But yeah, like <laughs> there's nothing wrong with thinking that like being at peace with death. Right. But he didn't, what, what his third eye off balance energy there was like putting the fast forward button on life. Like, let's get there. Let's get to the finish line. Death is the ultimate finish line. Let's get to it. You know what I mean? So like, if you left right. that unchecked over the course of a life, if you didn't deal with that and, and rebalance that in your early twenties, you might wind up dying young. 
who knows? I'm not trying to scare people, but like, I could see that. Right. And uh, that becomes like a record scratch for you uh, to repeat for as many years as you don't address the imprint. Uh, And so you will confirm it over and over and, and that becomes a buildup. That's fascinating. That's a really good story chance. I love how the, these, uh, it's like a moment of sentimentality can potentially imprint on you in ways that you just didn't realize would magnify and intense and become more intense uh, over the years. That's really great. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> That's why I'm so obsessed with doing tonings is because a, it's actually helpful for people and B it's like solving a puzzle every time, you know, like it's the ultimate test of pattern recognition. It's very fun in that way. I love that. Totally. About it. And you know, I'm one thing I'm realizing or, or beginning to believe more is how, uh, I'm thinking a lot about uh, tragedy. The Mel Pulmony is one of the nine muses. And I think she has a lot to do with memory, uh, more so than I thought. But I think that that is a kind of a form of service that these, these moments of these imprinted experiences, the fact that our memory is intensified around them actually gives us access later to come back and address the issue. So you can actually be like, oh, yeah, when I was seven, I remember this. And, and the reason you remember that is because of our response to tragedy, which, uh, yeah, it's like it's a, it's like keeping notes for these really meaningful moments uh, so that you can go back and address, uh, yeah, unfinished business, so to say. Yeah, it's it's like the memory when there's stuck energy about it or it's limiting in some way, because you would think like, OK, being interested in death or the, at peace with death, that's not bad. That's not a flow blocker. But the fascination with it to the point where or the preoccupation with it to the point where you're like in an impatience in life in general is where that's self-limiting. It's limiting your experience of right now and putting value on the future. And uh, as you say, you know, these touchstones of high emotional impact experiences, they, even at the moment, like they might, they might be mostly positive even, you know what I mean? Like that's the thing that is a little difficult about it. It's not always trauma, trauma in the form of like abuse or horrible pain. Like it was probably a really beautiful moment on the porch with, with his uncle watching that sunset. It's probably incredible, you know, like very heartfelt. I bet. And part of it too, is that he's seven or, or so at that time. And up to the age of seven, our energy fields wide open to our environment and to influences from people in our family. And can you imagine the intensity of being the guy who's going to die tomorrow or die soon? Like he's feeling very intense emotions. I bet like probably. So that's probably part of what imprints on the situation so strongly too. Um, But the reason like, you know, that it's quote unquote stuck energy is memory because when I put the fork in it and I say, 
this feeling, this age, or maybe I have more specific descriptors than that ready. They know instantly and they were not thinking about that experience five minutes ago or today or or within the last week or within the last year, you know, but all of a sudden it's floods back into their awareness and they fully remember it. Some people, some people that happens very intensely, like they relive it almost. And other people, it's more like they remember the story of what happened. Either way, the record is there. It's the record of experience. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I'd have to really work on it to tell you like what happened when I was seven. <laughs> so the fact that it just pops right back in, I think that is so significant. And anyway, with the third eye, the left side of it, instead of the future, it has to do with the past. And that's where we can get looped in recall of trauma or PTSD, uh, but also in the repression. Like I see more often that it represses the memory where you don't even know it happened. Uh, <laughs> it's never very fun to have to tell somebody, hey, I think that you were sexually abused at this age. <laughs> but sometimes it comes up and sometimes, um, you know, I've had a few a few sessions where they didn't think they were. And then as we kept unraveling the pieces of the puzzle, by the end, they're like, I think I was. And they don't and they never remember it. You know, it's that's OK, too. It's OK if the memory was never written, but we got to figure out how it affected you. So. That's the third eye. And the crown, creme de la creme, <laughs> to bring it all home, crown chakra. It's our, it's also brain and head, but it's kind of above the head. So it's like, this is where you're starting to go cosmic. You're getting into the part of your body that's beyond the physical body. It has to do with our relationship to time, nature, the divine, synchronicity, also focus and higher order thinking, spatial awareness, intelligence, and music, probably more things. To be honest, when I first started tuning, I made the chart that we're looking at now or a version of it very early in my journey as a way to help me know what was where. You know, I, I, I made my own map, right? And the left side and the right side of the crown chakra, my, my labels on my original version was undefined, undefined. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Eileen didn't. Eileen mostly just described it that way too. Um, but as I've gone on, I've found some things that definitely have come up consistently enough that I know that it's a, a we can talk about it. So that's cool. I've learned a lot about the crown. Healthy crown chakra. Most importantly, you feel like there's plenty of time, and you feel in sync with your divine purpose. By that I mean like that things are just kind of come in, come when they are meant to. Everything's in flow. Everything's in right timing. And you trust that. Uh, also, you find yourself able to go outside frequently and for enough time to feel good and to feel connected to nature in some way. Appreciate nature, love nature, whatever the case may be. Um, most importantly, maybe, though, besides the time aspect is a, a healthy balance of service to self with service to others and win wins in that regard. Low energy off balance crown can cause rule you to feel ruled by externals, whether people or circumstances overwhelmed, the feeling of overwhelm, a little different than burnout, right? It's, you know, kind of similar to, but it's more like mentally overwhelmed than physically burned out. They do kind of, they're, they're similar words, right? Um, negative synchronicity flow. This is a big one. 
<laughs> where everything's going wrong in the perfect, perfect storm, perfect disaster way, rather than going right. And then no time to go outside or, or no draw to go outside feeling disconnected from nature. That's all crown chakra stuff. Um, the left side of the crown chakra, the feminine side, it has to do with being identified with slavery or having no say over your time, feeling disconnected from the higher powers or your higher self. And so um, it's a little different. So the left side is like, you don't get to decide what you do with your time. But the right side is more like time is running out. It's always running out. I never have enough time. And the right side is also like any kind of desire to be the master of somebody else or seeing others as objects or tools or unspiritual in some way, you know, not, not, so there could be an empathy problem or like an objectification problem. An example with the left side of, uh, well, <laughs> here's why it's undefined. <laughs> Cause sometimes like the feeling of the clock ticking with the crown can, uh, sometimes it can go over to the left side or sometimes it can be on the right side. Like on uh, the example that I have in front of me here, I, I found that this, uh, this lady was constantly feeling like a sense of haste in her life and like time was running out uh, in a survivally threatening way. And that she had what we what we found was that when she was like three or four years old, uh, her mom wasn't with her dad anymore. Her biological dad was out of the picture and her mom was in like a huge rush to get a man <laughs> to get a man to support her and take care of her. So there's like, she's getting older, right? And you start to get older as a woman, you feel the clock ticking, you're not going to be as attractive of a mate or whatever. So as a little girl, she's watching her mom, who's her only role model, and she's seeing this like frantic, I'm running out of time and my survival is at stake. So there, obviously, <clears throat> there's more... That's just a tiny snippet of an example from that session. There's more things going on for that individual that this connects into, but that's one way it could happen. Another thing I see with the crown chakra is the feeling like um, you have to feeling like you got to operate from a depleted battery. Like a better way to put this crown can have, it, it relates to like our guiding principles in life. It's right there under the sun star. So our guiding forces, guiding principles, things we're aware of that motivate us or inform our decision-making can have to do with the crown. And uh, I, I've seen occasionally people with stuck crown energy that they gravitate towards doing behaviors or work or actions or types of service. That's a better way. They gravitate towards modes of service that leave them feeling drained and depleted. Whereas the healthy expression of the crown chakra, you would gravitate towards forms of service that left you feeling more energy energized by doing it. Right. So that's in the mix too. It is a little hard to define. So it's going to be one of those chakras where people's unique version of how it showed up for them is even more particular when you get down to the root things start to get a little bit more uh you know by the time you're in the feet 
the generalizations actually become quite concrete and similar from person to person, ankles too, right? The higher up you go, the more sort of abstract it gets and the more unique spin people might put on it. But yeah, that's pretty much the, uh, that's pretty much it, man. We've covered it all off. That's from head to toe. And this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure people had a resource to uh, understand the language their body speaks in. And I did my best to be comprehensive about it. Nice, man. That's great. You know, uh, I'm looking at that uh, in the low energy expression, that negative synchronicity flow. That brings a fun word to mind as a antonym to the negative synchronicity flow that maybe would belong in the uh, balanced expression column, you know, this because it relates a lot to like being in sync with divine purpose and healthy balance to a service of self and with service to others, win-wins. You've, have you heard the term uh, pro-anoia? Pro-noia. Pro-noia. That's such such a good term. The sneaking suspicion that everything in the universe is conspiring in your favor. (laughs) I love that term. I love that term. Dude, I'm pro-noia. I'm a hugely pro-noia person. (laughs) (laughs) Pro-noia-doid. Pro-noia. Yeah, man. And I think that, uh, I think that, that's kind of the uh, the shining example of a somebody in the conspiritual path should do their best to uh, to uh, represent our culture with a pro anoic persona, you know. And like, no matter how people try to back you into a nihilistic corner, oh, the whole world's out trying to get you, huh? When you're like, no, no, actually when you get to the bottom of all the rabbit holes, it's all working in our favor. You just got to know how to weave these stories with the, uh, with the synchro mystic lens. I love that you're getting saying that because you're, you're leading me exactly to what the final slides are about. So Wilhelm Reich, absolute (laughs) legend. He says, once we open up to the flow of energy within our body, we can also open up to the flow of energy in the universe. And I see this comment in here. Fubar says, Man, the more this stuff is mapped out, the more you can see how the powers that be have already mapped them out and are exploiting them to atomize the family unit. So I'm going to say, yes, but yes, but you can look at it that way. And in fact, it's, you know, in, in one perspective, it's true. It's, it, it's, it is physically true. But within the paranoia of it all, you know, the fact that we will have external things in our External world experiences that repeat the themes and feelings and beliefs that we have stuck in our field, and even to our seemingly detriment, like stubbing your toe or getting in a car wreck or kidney failure, any of the above. If you really understand what this is trying to tell you is that even those bad experiences are good for you. Even those bad experiences are trying to benefit you. It's all to wake you up. Are you, did you notice that you believe this thing that's limiting your potential? Did you realize that you're death obsessed because you don't love yourself or like you think that life sucks and you have this underlying belief that it sucks. So you're hastening your own disintegration. You know what I mean? Like even the negative synchronicities, if you will, 
our even the negative reflections in our life that pop up as experiences that reflect this stuck energy in the biofield, they're there to wake you up. They're there to shake you up and help you see that you're actually you have, you're more than this. You have more than potential than that. So yeah, it's all yeah. pronoia. Yes. And you know, one of my best, my biggest pronoia spins for myself was actually had to do with that atomization of the family because it was when I realized that I was using words like um, these evil family members or the, this dark family or their, you know, this, uh, royal family but i was vilifying the idea of a family with my words there it is when i was like ah they almost got me they almost got me and so now i've you know renovated plus you realize that royal family is the loyal family right so they're vilifying the idea of being loyal to your family it's the exact same spell that's involved in being uh racism being bad Race means family. That's the meaning of the word. <laughs> totally. Yep. Even like I'm being super judgmental. racist. Sorry. Not sorry. Well, right. I'm, I'm super judgmental. I'm super, uh, I'm already uh, discriminatory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All words that used to be good things. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So this, this slide is just a, an example of a fractal. So you understand that your body is right here at this pinpoint of light at the middle of the fractal. And then your energy field is around that. And then the clothes you're wearing is around that. And then the home you live in is around that. And then your family is around that. And then your, the town you live in and then the state and then the country and then the, the whole realm, you know, maybe not in that order or whatever, but that's what life is. It's nested layers of biofield. That's what Reich means when he says you understand the flow of energy in your body. You understand the flow of energy in the universe. This your your mind is the template all all this is built on. So it, it becomes important even if <laughs> even if the days out there are doing this, the the bullshit and we can see it and call it out. Recognize that the only good that that will do to re- to recognize and call that out is in seeing how your behavior or your beliefs reflect and support that conspiratorial bullshit. And then you change those beliefs and those behaviors. And you can walk away from worrying about that particular stuff. But, you know, until the, because we're all kind of like one consciousness experiencing itself through different peepholes, then <laughs> we're going to have to accept that the, the world biofield has dissonance in it. And also re- respect that that dissonance is there because this is music, baby. And we got to have tension and we got to have resolve. We got to have fear. and We got to have courage. We got to have the whole spectrum of it to have a story and that's fine. We're going to have the whole spectrum of it. What we want is to take charge of our story. And that's what this presentation is hopefully leading you towards. Not to worry about the thems and the days. It's going to be there. The tension is there. The the distance is there. It's part of the music. But what are you going to play in the jam session of life on your instrument? Right? That's the question that hopefully all this leads you to. That's right. Get your our beliefs and expectations return to us in the form of repeating patterns in our outer world experience, which means life is not happening to you. You are happening to life. Your mind isn't in your body. Your body is in your mind. 
That's that. <laughs> All right. All life force energy in the universe is one. Uh, some books on the subject you might want to pick up, everybody. Electric Body, Electric Health by Aline Day McCusick. Tuning the Human Body, Biofield, also by her. Those two books are what I read to learn how to do this myself. Um, you can go to the biofieldtuningstore.com, Biofield Tuning Store, or just biofieldtuning.com, one of those. Uh, and there's a lot of good resources there as well from guru teacher, Master Eileen. I also really like this book, Metaphysical Anatomy. And it's got like, it's like a catalog, a textbook catalog of different types of diagnoses you might have got and what and like some questions and observations that will help get you on the path of putting the puzzle pieces together about that. I won't say everything in this book, metaphysical anatomy is necessarily consistently true for every case, but it's more like a wide range of possibilities. And if you read through it about whatever the thing you're having struggles with is you will probably find some clues to help unravel it. And uh, I find that book to be a very useful Bible for whenever I, have a client presenting with a, a health issue that I haven't seen before. I check it out. I check it out in this book and it definitely gets me on the right path. I'll say that it's a really helpful book. So I think all the three of these should be in people's library. And then, you know, with the, with or without tuning forks, this is all about electricity and the ways to raise your voltage are to get enough rest, breathe deep, get grounded, eat organic, healthy foods, Drink spring water, receive love consciously, as in recognize that you're appreciated and, and others are grateful for you. Don't dismiss it. Like, you know, someone pats you on the back, tells you a good job. Don't say, oh, it's nothing. Someone wants to give you a gift. Don't say you can't give me that. I don't deserve that. Receive the love. <laughs> it's important. Hang out with uh, electron donors, not electron stealers. This list is from Eileen's book, by the way. It's a really helpful list of ways to. Get, get more charge. Allow your emotions to flow through you rather than suppressing them. Tap into the power of sound. Get out in nature. Laugh. It's <laughs> a big one. Honor your natural inclinations. That's also a big one. Covers a lot. Choose ah instead of ugh. And avoid chemically scented products and soak up the sun. And that's it, guys. We did it. Three hours. Pretty solid presentation. Gabe, thanks for, you know, patiently uh, letting me do that. I could have, you know, probably done that solo, but I just like hanging out with you, man. Thanks for being along for the ride. Every time, my friend, it's my pleasure and I'm honored to be here. Word. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll head out now. Topher, thanks to you too, man. You're such a, a total Dude, badass at all this. As we'll, we'll get him on again sooner than later, I guarantee. With the standard Topher Ninja Bomb drop. <laughs> <laughs> Drops a smoke bomb and ghosts out. <laughs> I didn't mention to him either that the biofield, especially if you like, if you take the L in biofield, biofield, and switch it to an R, bi is two, O feel, you know, like Topher is like two Ofer. You know what I'm saying? Like Biofield <laughs> totally. and Topher is like his name is like a Biofield name. Anyway, that dude's awesome. <laughs> totally. All right. Uh, if anybody does want to actually get tuned by me particularly, check the description or email me chance at interversepodcast.com or go to my website, interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. There's usually about a four or five 
week waiting list in terms of booking, just because, you know, I got a lot of balls in the air that I'm juggling. So sooner than later, if you want to get tuned, then please get in touch and we'll make it happen. Uh, anything else I need to say? Oh, other good things. Tip of canoe herbs. Check the link in the description for that. Interverse coupon code 10% off. I've been doing my uh, finger dips of calamus root powder <laughs> during this episode. I use all kinds of products from them. And yeah, okay. That's all the plugs. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Love you. Thanks for being here. This was a really great stream. Peace.